talking all the nonsense. Let's we have to start the show. It's time right now for the David Feldman show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to the mop up for October 8th, October 8th, 2020. I think this is a, episode 1181. I'm David Feldman in New York City, where it's about 61 degrees. And fewer and fewer people are wearing masks now that our president ripped his off. Donald Trump said today he is quitting the second debate, which begs the question, there was a first one. Joe Biden says he will show up next week and instead debate 240 pounds of horseshit. Thirteen men were arrested today for plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and planning to start a civil war. All 13 men were charged with impersonating a U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement agent. Yes, ICE. They will uh, they will be the Confederacy. They will be the ones who destroy this country. While everyone was talking about the fly on Mike Pence's head, few people noticed the vice president's closing remarks when he ripped off his shirt and pressed his man boobs against the plexiglass like Billy Hayes' girlfriend in Midnight Express. The man will do anything to help our president achieve orgasm. President Trump insists he has been cured of the coronavirus after taking an experimental cocktail whose side effects apparently include batshit crazy. The president spent most of today in the office spewing COVID-soaked venom at Kamala Harris, calling her a communist and a monster, which is unfair because she's definitely not a communist. 
That new experimental drug Donald Trump is taking was developed using cells taken from fetal tissue, something Mike Pence and the Trump administration had tried to prevent. Given the president's rapid recovery, I wish they had succeeded. Let's go to Kenny Bunk, Maine, where Jim Earl is standing by. Hello, Jim Earl. I can't hear you. They're applauding the Emmy and Peabody Award winning comedy writer, author, musician, Jim Earl. Welcome, Jim. David, I would like to present to you this Cable Ace Award for that monologue. Oh, thank you. I think that's a bowling, a woman's bowling trophy. Uh, I think the woman is putting her two fingers in all three holes for double penetration. So it's a guy wearing a dress. Oh. (laughs) Who who bowls? Who bowls? Yeah. We all bowl. I didn't know you were a bowler. I bowl, yes. Really? Melania bowls. Melania bowls. Martha bowls. Well, as you know... Uh, I guess it was a week and a half ago, we did Diabetic Fury to raise money for diabetes awareness. And there were several tiers for tickets. You could get general admission, but then other people paid for extras. And some of those extras included you writing somebody's obituary. You have a book of obituaries for people who didn't get the obituary they deserved. A lot of people pass away and Jim feels they didn't get the obituary they deserve. So Jim, over the years, has been writing the proper obituary. So somebody mm-hmm. paid for you to write their obituary. I understand you're not going to read that obituary on today's show. Is that correct? No, because he, he, he prefers to say, stay somewhat anonymous. And uh, so... In return, uh, he asked that uh, I write an obituary for you. Uh, somebody is writing my obituary. Yes, I'm. I'm going to be writing your obituary. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll hopefully have it ready by uh, next week. Okay. And, and read it on the show if you're if you're still around. If I'm still around, this is an opportunity. I guess next time we do Diabetic Fury, we're going to make the same tier available. The, the tragedy of death is. We never get to attend our own funeral, hear what our loved ones have to say about us. We also don't get to read our obituary. Jim Earl has a book out called Morning Remembrance. He writes obituaries that should have been written. And we're giving away a prize to people who come to Diabetic Fury. He will, Jim, will write your obituary. What a, what an honor and a privilege. So somebody paid so I could hear my own obituary. Yes. All right. A fan. <laughs> okay. A fan. All right. Well, one of the other tiers was shout outs at the top of my show. We, we promised that anybody who uh, bought a special ticket would get a, a shout out from some of your favorite characters from this show. And I, understand melania trump is here is hello cr- davy how are hello, you feeling Davey. how are you uh, feeling i think i feel better 
now that I speak to you, Davey. Oh, because you, 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 what do you have? You're suffering from something, right? Coronary virus. The, okay. Well, we, 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 we wish you well. We, we really Thank do. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, you're doing something for money. People bought tickets and you're going to give some shout outs for money. Have I you am ever- not prostituted. No, that's, you're not a prostituter. You're talking, about, you're talking about Kamala Harris, who was a prosecutor. Yes, baby. Kamalova. Oh. Who? Kamalova. Kamalova. No, it's, yes, she is prostituted. From San Francisco. From yeah. San Bernardino. San Francisco. Yes. And let's try to get her name right one more time. What is her name? Kamalova. 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 Okay. Uh, prostituted. Well, a prosecutor. Uh, and you're feeling she put okay. Children in cages, Debbie. She uh, put children in cages for truancy. Well, this is true, David. Tonel and I put children in cages because they are not right. There's big difference. The kids aren't right. Yes. There's something wrong with them. Of course. And, and what do you call your husband? Tonel. Tonel. <laughs> Toenail Trump. Well, let's give out uh, these special shout outs for for money. Have you ever done anything for money before? Never. Mm. Because there have been rumors. I am not hooker. No, I didn't say you were. And if I did, I'd get into trouble, right? My pimple beat you up. (laughs) So I'm not going to go after the first lady. All right. This first shout out goes to Andrew. Hello. For those of you who do not know me, I am the first lady, Melania, of Donald Trump, (laughs) supreme leader of the United States, a Tandy Corporation. (laughs) Yes. I am here. Shut up to Andrew. Uh, You're here. Why? Why are you here? I am here giving a big shot up to Andrew. <laughs> yes. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He wishes to be anonymous. So we will not call Andrew by his real name of Andrew. Yes, that's considerate. Nor will I reveal he lives at 2724 Piedmont Mesa Drive, San Bernardino, California. <laughs> Privacy is very important. So what is what is the address you're not revealing, First Lady? Andrew, you can contact him at 2724 Piedmont Mesa Drive, San Bernardino, California. Okay, so if... if 90294. Okay, so if anybody is worried that Andrew's privacy could be compromised, they should com- they should contact him where? 2724 Piedmont Mesa Drive, San Bernardino, California. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Andrew, be best and do not get sick <laughs> unless you are rich. <laughs> then you can do whatever the fuck shit you like. <laughs> fuck Christmas and Heil Hitler. <laughs> and while we are at it, fuck Halloween too. <laughs> I'm sorry, the audience was applauding. What did you say? 
Thank you. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful shout out to uh, Andrew. I like to do that. Yes, and he lives at 2724 Piedmont Mesa Drive, San Bernardino, California. And he Now liked- I show you my teeth? No, no, thank you. Oh. Thank you. Jeez. Jesus. No, first lady. <clears throat> Uh, this uh, you next, have another? yes, this Melania, this next Melania, this next Melania shout out goes to a Mary Marks in California. Another in California. Yes, yes. Hello, Mary Marks. Hello. This is First Lady. Be best, Melania. Be best and please accept my be best shout out to be best <laughs> it's a, with well wishing. Did you say shard, sh- shout out? This is a shout my out. My be best shout out. Sh- shout out. Shout out. Okay. All right. My husband, Tonel, <laughs> slept with porn hookah and no condom. Mm. Yes. I'm sorry, you said what? I, what, what? I mean sinister to Mary. Sinisterly to Mary, yes. Yes. I wish you and horse a Mary Fox You're You're breaking up, Melania. It could be the COVID in your lungs. I... Uh, I read it again. Yeah. I mean this sincerely to Mary. Mm-hmm. I wish you and we- and horse. I wish you and horse a merry fuck this Christmas planning decorations. <laughs> Be best, no matter who. I really do not care. Do you? Stormy Daniels is a porn hookah. I don't know what that has to do with a, a, a shout out. To, to I really don't care, do you? Okay, all right. Shout out. Say shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. The next Melania... Shut up. Sh- yeah, the next Melania shout out. Say it again. Shut up. Shut up. The next Melania shout out goes to some guy named Jonathan Alper. Oh, Hello, Jan, Johan Halpert. <laughs> that is right, yeah? Yeah, Jonathan Alpert. Hello, Johan Halpert. <laughs> this is for you who do not know me. Me as Melania, First Lady of United Emirates of the America States of New Hampshire. Mm. Okay. She's all mixed up. I don't yeah, she's a, it must be some kind of... COVID cocktail she and the president are on. Are you taking a COVID cocktail, Melania? Melania, are you there? Did we lose her? Are you okay, Melania? Oh, she's muted. I am here. I have porn connection. You have porn connection? Porn connection. You have a porn yes, connection. Are, I have a porn connection. Well, uh, we were wondering, uh, I mean, are you on some kind of COVID cocktail that's making it impossible for you to think straight? I am always on cocktail. Okay. Uh, so let's get back to your, say it again, shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Okay, can Shut up. Okay, this next Melania shout out 
goes to Jonathan Alper. Ah, yes, Debbie. Hello, Johan Halpert. <laughs> this is for you who do not know me. Is Melania, First Lady of United Arab Emirates of the America States of New Hampshire. New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Hmm. Melania, not drunk, so fuck you and fuck Christmas planning, okay? Yes. Sinterklaas is war criminal. <laughs> Stormy Daniels is a porn hookah. He's Christmas stuff. Fuck this Christmas shit and fuck New Year's too, Davey. Okay, thank you. Are you going to end with your usual sign-off on that one? No, I am not done yet. Oh, okay. We have more shout-outs. I know, but usually you end a shout-out with something inspirational. Maybe later. Okay. The next Melania shout-out, say it, shout-out? Shut-up. No, shout-out. Shut up. Goes to Rorikki Hutchinson. Rorikki? Rorikki. Hello. Rorikki Hutchinson. Yeah. She got it, Dave. She got it. Yeah, I think, yeah. Continue your your shout out, please. This is, this is you. Who you know who this is? You wanted Melania should plug Rockery's socialism media page mm. on the internet. It is called At Morning Marks. And every day they read four pages of Das Kapital by Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a real laugh riot. <laughs> Oh, Remember, not, yeah. from each according to their ability, be best. <laughs> and fuck the Santa Claus shit every fucking year. Heil Hitler, be best. Heil what? Heil Hitler, be best. Heil be best. Uh, Heil be best. That might, okay. Uh, well, we have one more for you. Melania, okay? And then we'll let you go. And you sure you're feeling up to this? Because you've been very sick. Yes, I feel fine, baby. I can go on all night long, you know. Yes. This next Melania shout out. Shout out. Shout up. Goes to Esti Caraballo. Yes. Hello, Esti Caraballo. Hello, this is First Lady Melania of First Lady Melania Trump's. I would like to give you big shout up to Esti. How do you say Carabao? Carabao. Caramelo? Carbolosa? Carta Blanca? Carabao. I can't say these names. What the fuck kind of name is this? Fuck this Christmas shit and fuck St. Nicholas and it's fucking reindeer, Rudolph. Rudolph Hess is a war criminal. Yes. Next time, I leave tuna fish sandwich out for Sinterfuck Claus and I sit on it first with Melania's huge Sasquatch butt and see what happens next. 
the best. Blah, fucking blah. Thank you. That was uh, a shard out. Those are some shard outs from First Lady Melania Trump. And, and stay healthy, Melania, will you? Thank you, Davey. Okay. I'll be right back. I have to go to bathroom. Oh, okay. Be best. Okay. Well, we have some more shout outs coming up. This next one is uh, for Senator Susan, from Senator Susan Collins of Massachusetts. It's amazing that she's in this big, big, tight race against Sarah Gideon and she has time to do a shout out. Please welcome Senator Susan Collins. Hello, Senator Susan Collins. Hello, Senator. Oh, hello, David. Okay. Oh, why isn't my photo working? Hold on a minute. There we go. Oh, there's that pretty face. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, David. It's so good to see you, Senator Susan Collins. Oh, it's been so long. Yes. How's Tom, your husband, Tom Collins? Tom Collins is wonderful. Oh, good. And has he been deworming you? I'm sorry? Did he deworm you today? Oh, every day. I have to have a deworming. (laughs) This is Maine, you know. (laughs) Things grow on me (laughs) like mold. Well, you're growing on the American people. It's very... Um, growing. Yeah, you're growing. growing on the American people. Good luck. The election is only weeks Thank away, you. and we all Thank you, David. We all wish you the results you deserve. This Senator Susan Collins shout out goes to Chris Nicolosi. Well, this is the great Senator Susan Collins of the pudgy old state of Maine. <laughs> And no, I'm not drunk. (laughs) Firstly, and I mean firstly, I would like to tell. Uh, You're breaking up there. Uh, You you broke up. Damn it. God damn it. You're not not drunk. I'll try it again. Okay, yes. I'm not drunk. Okay. Firstly, and I mean firstly, I would like to tell. Chris Nicolosi, if that's his real name, to go fuck himself and the horse he rode in on. <laughs> that's that's not nice. This is a shout out. He paid for this. Well, and I bet he'll like that, too. <laughs> Thirdly, if I lose this November, you are all going to pay, <laughs> especially Chris Nicolosi. <laughs> Oh, that's a, I like that. Yeah, I like that. It's a, well, it's a election. David, it's an honor. Okay, thank you, Senator. I'm Su- Senator Susan Collins, and I approve this shard out. <laughs> okay, I think we're going to need Melania. There's Melania. You're back, Melania. How was the bathroom? Hello. How Hello, the... Davey. I'm better. Oh, I feel much better now. I oh. had so much fluid in me. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Fluid in your lungs? Ooh. All over. All over me. Ah, okay. But you're feeling better now. I feel much better now, yes. Okay. So you think you can do some more shout-outs? 
Yes, I do more shout out, shout outs. Okay, shout, shout out. Shout out. Okay, this next Melania shout out goes to Jennifer Pelkey. Hello, Pelkey Yanifer. <laughs> Thank you. I'm shouting out for you for your whatever. You're breaking up, so let's try that again, Melania. It's, it's the the COVID is definitely getting to your lungs, and you're having trouble yes, articulating. Yes, it's very difficult. It's difficult, Davy. Yes. Hello, hello. Now it's better. Yes. Hello, Helki Yanifer. Yes. Thank you, and shouting out to you for wherever you are, whatever you do. Remember. The three pillars of Melania BBS program. Pillar one, my prenup. Pillar two, Donald's money. <laughs> Pillar three, I was never prostitute. Ask my pimp. Heil Hitler. You know, you, you sound strong. You really do. Okay, this next Melania shout out goes to Joseph Dutra. Melania, are you there? Hello, Yosef. I'm here, David. Okay, you sorry. I, you're sickly, and I, I, you know, you should be resting. You should be on your back. You should be on your yes, back. Yes, I'm always on my back, resting comfortably. Okay. But, but be best, I'll be back on my knees real soon, I promise. <laughs> We're going to get into trouble when you talk. Hey, hey, I know. Please. I know. Okay. Uh, this next Yosef. Mo- Dutra. Yes, this next Melania shout out goes to Joseph Dutra. Shout out. Shout out. Hello, Joseph Dutra. Davy, what kind of a name is Dutra? It sounds know. like you took word duty and put tra after it. <laughs> Go Google it. Okay. Stormy Daniels is porn hooker. Mm. Annie Leibovitz shot her in Vogue. Stormy mm. Daniels, the porn hooker. Mm. Porn hooker. If you Google it, go Google it and read it. Fuck Christmas. Did you say Google? Google. What? What? Google. 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 Google it. Google it. Google. Google it. This next Melania shouted. Maybe she should change to Alta Vista. Yeah. That that browser. Yeah. Oh, Alta Vista. Alta Vista. Yeah. Yeah. This next Melania shout out goes to Little Martin Olson. Oh, a kid of Los Angeles. This is nice. Little Martin Olson, a child. You're breaking up again the fluids in your lungs. Again, I have so much fluid inside of me. I can't help it, baby. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get rid of some. <coughs> A part on me. Ugh. Did you say hard okay. on me? Hard, hard on me. Pardon me. Pardon me. <laughs> hard on me. Okay. What kind of fluid are we talking about? Oh, so much. 
Okay. It's too much. It's the Rev 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 Desimir. Yeah. <coughs> pardon, pardon, pardon me. P- pardon me. Another shout out. Shout out. Shout so this out. is for a child named Little Martin Olson from Los Angeles. Little Angel. Martin. Little is he Martin. in cage? Little Martin is he inside of the cages? We don't put kids in cages. In they this think country. I don't care, Davy, but they not put it on TV. You're breaking. The, you you got to clear your lungs again. I really do. Uh, okay, Davey. Okay. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me now? now? Yes, we can, Melania. Okay. Now I do another shout. Another shout out. Oh, shout good. You out. said. You, oh, you had it right. Shout out. Uh, shout out. Okay. Go Hello. ahead. Hello, Martin Olson. Martin Orson. Mm-hmm. I am not prostitute. Go ask my pimp. That's good. That's good to tell a child that. A child should know that. Well, you know, fuck this Christmas planning for the Christmas. Whoopity-doo with the kids in cages. (laughs) No. Melania tried to get them back for their owners, so stop complaining already, okay? Oh, thank you, Melania Trump. That was... Jesus Christ. Okay. That was... uh, He's fucking... What? Fuck these crystal knock decorations and shit. Fucking toenail gave me the virus for the third time this week, and it's only Monday. It's Friday, actually. Oh, whatever. Melania is sick. My lungs still filled with fluid. Right. Well, get better. Thank you, Davey. Okay. Bye. Remember, be best. Who gives a fuck about this Christmas shit? Don't get sick and hide him there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, baby. Thank you, First Lady. Thank you. Uh, Jim, well, she, I have to get she, to... Uh, the, she's out of control. She hates, she hates Christmas. She hates Christmas. <clears throat> and I she's very, understand that. And she's it's very, a lot of work. A she, lot of work. She's very possessive of her husband. She doesn't like women. I guess Stormy... Daniels flirted with Donald once, and so she is very jealous. She has porn hookah. Oh, you're still here. Okay. No condom. No condom. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We'll get that. I am not porn hookah. Ask no. my pimp. <laughs> <laughs> there are kids. First lady, there are kids watching. We there have, are kids in cages, Davey. Yes, and they're watching the show. So. We have stand, standards and practices. Yes. When we come, thank you, Jim Earl and and Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart, Martha Previtt. Thank you, Dave. All the proceeds go towards Diabetic Fury. I hope we get to do one this month or next month. And congratulations on the bowling trophy, Jim Earl. We will get your take on the the debate, Jim, if you want to come back later in the show. But we're out of time. This took up a while. Thank you. I'll come, I'll come back later. Okay. Thank you, Jim Earl. And thank you, Martha Previtt. When we come back, Pete Dominic, the host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic, joins us. Dave. Dave.
time in the city My hair plugs ain't pretty Hot times in the city I'm feeling kinda bad Seven to eight hours twice a week Don't have time to take a leak Hot times in the city now go to Rockland County, New York, where the great Pete Dominic is about to unmute himself. He is the host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic. You look so happy. You look like you're getting outside and you're getting some color and your studio is finished. You look great. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm starting to feel happy. I've been struggling lately, but I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling pretty good today. And it's great to see you. Thank you for having me. I love your voice. I love your voice. I love I love having you on the show. So you were struggling with what? Anxiety over money. Anxiety over money. As well as concern about the the future of uh, the country and always the planet. Planet's always there. Right. Yeah. It's always a, a concern. I, I have. I'm one of those people who thinks a lot about climate change, and it. Yep, you're breaking. Think up. of something. I think it's me today. I wonder hmm. what's going on. Am uh, I still breaking up? Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm better now. So you're uh, concerned about money. There's three things people don't talk about, or they lie to themselves about: yeah. sex, food, and money. How do they, how so? How I think it's, lie? I think in relationships, we mm-hmm. lie to our loved ones about sex, food, and money. We don't talk about it. We lie to ourselves about sex, food, and money. We don't, and it, it's three things that can be quantified. You can, count. how would you lie about food? Will you lie to yourself about your weight or what you're eating? whether or not you're eating properly. Right. And you lie to yourself about sex. You you can insist you have an active sex life when you don't, or you can insist that you have urges that uh, you don't or you do. And money, nobody in this country deals with the truth about their own financial state or this country. I mean, we still think we live in the wealthiest country in the world. <laughs> I mean, we tell ourselves, we're, you know, and I beat myself up. I'm watching the news. Everybody's doing well. You know, when I watch the news and I see the commercials, everybody's rich. Everybody's happy. It must be me. It must be me. 
Social media does that too now as well. But, you know, I was, when I first lost my job at Sirius, I would look around. It got so, it got so mentally uh, men- messed up in my brain. I would be looking at every other man, men. And Are you and, making uh, eye contact with them again? Because this leads to problems in saunas for you. I don't want to go triggering me okay. and you make me feel unsafe again. Okay, and I, so I thought this was a safe space. And it I was about space. to be vulnerable about my money concerns. And then you bring up the fact that I had, uh, was assaulted by a man in a steam room. And your studio looks like a sauna. I'm just saying. Well, there's that. a deep seated connection there, I think. Yeah. Okay. I'm, so, so you, all right. So you're worried about money and every time you I would look, look at, at other men and I would just think, Oh, that guy probably has financial security. Oh, that guy probably made better choices. Oh, that guy probably has, you know, a better portfolio. And it's, it's a, it's an illness. But my question back to you, as you mentioned, you know, in this country, do you think other cultures and countries have a better, healthier relationship with money? Yes, absolutely. The, the Iroquois, the Iroquois, I, I think they have a good relationship with money, especially when I'm at one of their casinos and they're taking all mine. Uh, probably offensive that one. But <laughs> <laughs> Probably watching your mind crank to decide whether or not that was offensive was real great. You got to see play that back. Well, I was thinking today, I had this weird thought today, and I bet you'll have an answer for this. I was thinking, I bet you socialists, self-avowed socialists, I bet you they're pretty, pretty kind people. I bet you they're good people. Capitalists are, are greedy, competitive people, but I bet you like socialists, communists, Marxists, I bet you they're, I bet you they're good people. That was a thought I had today. I bet they're not. No. Liberals, lefties, I bet a lot of them think, you know, my heart's in the right place, so my wallet doesn't have to be, or I don't have to be nice to anybody. I'm a good person. Mm. Some of the kindest people I know are monsters. Well, how can you, how can you thread that needle? What do you mean? I mean, give me an example. I have worked for some real pigs mm-hmm. and they are monsters, bullies. They would step over a, a dying child to get ahead. So how are they kind then? How can you be both? What do you mean? Well, that's my definition of kindness. I'm really messed up in the head. Right. Got it. No, I just noticed that there are certain people who they're Republicans. They vote improperly, but in terms of interpersonal relationships, there's a generosity of spirit that I don't necessarily see with, you know, Rob Reiner or uh, Barbara Streisand, people who wear their politics on the sleeve, but are in fact pigs. I'm sure those people treat people who are better than them or can do something for them well. Yes, they they kiss up and kick down. Yeah. Rob Reiner's not, I, I've met him a few times. He seems like a, a good guy. He comes alone to the show and stuff. Hmm. Oh, you, 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 uh, you, would I, I, I just, he's one of those seems people like, who uh, should keep his mouth shut. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That's all you're going to tell us. Yeah. I just think he should keep his mouth shut when it comes to politics. I don't think well, he is helping the cause any. And well, I when you think- say that somebody has, you know, good in the, the, to your face, to the people that are in their life, they're good to them. But at, at, in a larger way, they're they're somehow terrible. I mean, I think that's the reverse of that or a way to explain that in real life is, is, is someone who says, listen, I'm not a bigot, okay? I've got lots of people in my life who are diverse backgrounds. I Several people 
that I would call oh, friends hang on for that are second. black. Hang on, hang on for one second. I thought I was going to hear a good racist joke. You, you set me up. You said, I'm not a bigot. And I was going, oh, no. good. He's going to tell me a racist joke or an anti-Semitic joke or something that's wrong. But you're, now you're just talking. You can't preface a sentence with, I'm not right. a bigot, but right. without you saying some horrible Jackie the Joke You're not joke. wrong. I'm not a bigot. I just don't want blacks to move into my neighborhood. There you go. I'm Thank sorry. You. You're right. Okay. Uh, so I, I just I, that's the the idea that you could be you know have friends that are uh, a black people and and therefore you're not a racist. It's how you treat an entire group of people. And I don't treat a group of people, but I do support a policy that affects them, good or bad. And therein lies, I think, the conversation about whether or not you yourself are a bigoted person, a racist person. Do you support the black? Oh, I'm, I'm really good friends with this black guy. Do you want him to have the right to vote? Well, I'm voting for the guy who'll take his vote away. Well, then I bet you he doesn't like you, really. Right. I bet you're not that good of a guy. But I'm pro-life. Well, I mean, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, anti-abortion is the phrase that should be used, and no one should use the word pro-life except for the people who think that they are, and they aren't, of course. I mean, you yeah. also so, can't be. Go so, ahead. So you're worried about money. Um, I'm and do you beat yourself up? Is there something you bought? No, that- no, no. We don't do anything irresponsible at all with money. And I, I don't worry that much because I work really, really yes, hard. And do. things seem to work, have seemed to work out for me my entire career because I put so much into so much effort in. And I also think uh, I, I treat people well and I have a lot of great relationships and people in my life. So it's the idea that I would ever, you know, be destitute is is something that a story I tell myself, but anybody right. who knows me goes, you silly goose, right. you'll always work. Right. Well, let me tell you uh, what I tell homeless people. Go ahead. I walk up to them. I, I'm not going to give you money, but I'm going to give you a pep talk. This is not your fault. We're all suffering. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, it's so, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, I, I'm, you know, a homeless man attacked me once. Yes, you've mentioned that several I times. Couldn't go, couldn't go through a show of yours without bringing that up. Yes. My uh, fault. I believe it was in the steam room at the Equinox. No, that is, a, that is a separate story that man had many homes, as far as I okay. can tell. Yeah, he's very wealthy. There is something Which going... Which is why he thought he could have anything he wanted and tried to take advantage of a young me. Right. Right. There is a tendency in this country to blame the victims. So we are being victimized by a political system, an economic system that renders us helpless, voiceless, and broke. But they brand this country as though it's the land of opportunity and freedom, so it must be your fault. And as a result, we keep our financial insecurities to ourselves because there's shame associated yes. with yes. not being able to pay your bills. Right. We glide past the statistic. More than half of this country cannot come up with $400 for an emergency. And that's just become this thing that we accept and don't examine that. What does it mean when half this country can't come up with $400? It used to be that half this country was one paycheck away from financial ruin. Now they're one maxed out credit card away from financial ruin. 
And we accept that as a statistic, and then we move on. We accept we accept it when the, the head of the Federal Reserve, Powell, Jerome Powell, says Great people guy. are working, but they're still poor. Yeah. We accept that, that, that people have jobs, but they're still below the poverty line. So we hear that the unemployment rate has dropped since the peak of April, but the people who are working are still poor. Right. With every downturn, things don't come back for a lot of people. They end up working more for less. I I mean, I would push back when you say in this country, and I would simply say, the thing that's specific, because because this, this is true of, of every nation, every society, where if you're poor, it's because you deserve it and you didn't work hard enough and you're lazy. And if you're rich, it's because you work so hard and you're successful. And that's a silly paradigm, number one. But the difference in this country, I would add, is when I lost my job, I also lost my health insurance. And what mm-hmm. that does to you, David, is it, it, it at night, you, your eyes are as wide open as they can be and they don't close. And then... And then you shit your pants. That's what losing your health insurance does to you when you're like me and you have children, a 12, 13 and 15 year old daughters. And my wife who had to depend on my health insurance at Sirius XM. When I lost that is when I began to stop sleeping. And that's the difference. And then the other thing is you can measure. There are measurements when we talk about, oh, it's a land of the free and opportunity, as you said. There is a way to measure in economics called social mobility. You know, how much, how many gains are you making in your life in society? Is society improving economic mobility, social mobility? And there are metrics of this. And it's far better in other similar countries, especially when they have universal health care. And so it is really actually tied in. Again, it's not an argument that you have to get emotional about. There are statistics. If you're born in this or that zip code, it highly, highly determines your success in life. So does access to to, uh, pre-kindergarten. If you get pre-kindergarten nursery school, you have a much better shot at succeeding in life. That's expensive. Universal pre-K. Guess who has it? The rest of the world. Right, right. And our kids go out into the world competing against the children of the 1% who act like it's a level playing field. They dress. That's the problem in this country. The richest 1%, those kids, dress like bums so you can't identify them. They act like they're self-made when, in fact, they've had everything handed to them, which is why I think we need to brand the children of the one percent, right on their forehead, we should know what we're dealing with. Yes, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure if branding, but something similar to some kind of a mark. There should be a, a mark a so patch, you know that permanent, yeah. this person hat, had yeah. advantages over me. They just and, have to carry third base around. Yes, <laughs> where they were born, exactly. Yes, yeah. yes, and 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 it has to be heavy. It can't be a soft base, and and they have to struggle. I mean, I was once on the Mike Huckabee show on Fox News. And Great I'm man. Sorry to get Great man. braggadocious, braggadocious on your program, but I was. I was a panelist, and several times actually, Huckabee took a shine to me. Uh, and I said to his audience, who are right wing nuts that come to New York City, you know, as tourists from middle America, from Nebraska. And the highlight is to be in the city audience of the Mike Huckabee show. And mm-hmm. I said, what is fair paying taxes on your work 
your wages, your shift, or paying taxes on the money you have. And the difference between investment income and income from labor. What is more fair? Where, where should you be higher taxes? And of course, everybody agrees when you put it to them that way, that the taxes should be higher on the money that's just sitting in the bank, on capital gains is what it's called, versus your actual work, your shift at the factory. That's not a controversial thing. But you have to explain it without using the word liberal and conservative, Democrat and Republican. But everybody would re- thinks that you should pay less taxes on your actual work than your investments. And it's silly to think otherwise. But they've got the system rigged and they're really great with language at convincing people that they're somehow, you know, not as good as, quote, job creators, which are never job creators. Yeah. You asked me if socialists were kind. What about Christians, people who were their Christianity? I just think that when you have an, you can twist a religion, religion. Do you think Mike Huckabee is a kind person? Well, he was kind to me, so he's, he must be kind. I met him and he's very funny and really funny. That suggests he's not a kind person. He has a very um, serious issue with his weight. He he really yo-yos. I have a lot of concern for him for that. And isn't gluttony one of the seven sins? Isn't that? He's an asshole. He is such a prick. He's like Mike (laughs) Pence. It's like they wrap themselves (laughs) in this kind of calm demeanor and this sense of humor. In the meantime, they're doing and saying horrible things with a forked tongue and that's why uh, they have insects that land on them and stay there for long periods of time while on camera and i just have to say if trump gets reelected, it'll be worth it it'll be worth it because of the fly (laughs) because of the fly the human rights and the civil rights violations I can deal with that moment. I will cling to the rest of my life. As my daughters struggle without health insurance, as the planet melts, and as uh, rape is legalized, I'll think about that fly, and I'll think, you know, at least, at least we have that. I also wish that we could have heard or seen or been there when mother told her husband that the only thing that mattered on social media was that a fly had landed on him for two minutes and that a lot of us, I was watching it with, with uh, 70 other people and a lot of us thought that it was a, a baby bird, mm-hmm. a small bit ba- like a raven or a, a crow because it, it was so big and yet, and it stayed there and it seemed more uh, high functioning than, than a fly. It could have been a drone. But the point is when mother told him, Mikey did a great job. I thought you were great, but I do have to tell you, you're about to find out. <laughs> um, for about six or eight minutes during the debate, there was a very large, large winged insect. It could have been a pterodactyl. Nobody knows. <laughs> on your head. And it's all anybody's talking about. I, I'm sorry to be the person I have to tell you, but... That's that's great. I I see. I watched the debate briefly and I didn't know what that was. I thought it was a house fly with a huge piece of shit on its ass. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of a lot of people pretty clearly thought there's a reason why the fly landed on Mike Pence and not anybody. I I didn't know that was Mike Pence. I just thought a fly was uh, anyway. I think a, a lot of people went for the shit joke, actually. I was going for another oh, variation an on one. the joke. But you know what? One. I feel I feel bad. Had Stephen Miller been healthy enough, he would have 
tongue that fly out of the air in two well, seconds. A lot of people face, thought that maybe the prick. fly was Stephen Miller. Oh, well, he's because, got COVID. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I thought it was Giuliani because, you know, he can turn into anything <laughs> and then back again. Well, Has we have seen him, by the way. Who, Giuliani? He's got to be. He's got to got the got to have the COVID. Karma would dictate it, of course, and he was coughing and uh, on on TV night, and he can't he can't really have much much longer before he looks a doorknob. Well, but we don't we, we don't want to trivialize the plight of people who. Oh, I do. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, I guess that's we don't not agree. how I was. My mother always said to me, "Never mock people who deserve to have something bad happen to them." She did. No, I'm just trying to be. I don't. We don't laugh. I don't laugh at other people's misfortune. I didn't used to. It's new for me. Yeah, COVID did that to me. I used to always say my rule was I don't want to become what I hate. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't want to be one of those people that even if I really dislike you, that I wish something bad would happen to you. But if you are going to physically put my family in danger every day, all day, you got to go. I'm sorry. And I'm it's time for you to. And in this case, it's an infectious disease. You know, it's right. not like they've passed a policy that is going to continue burning fossil fuels, which, of course, they have. It's not that the, the, the planet is an existential threat because of their policies. It's not that it's it's more imminent. And it's because of the way they're behaving every day. If you go out without a mask and you're the president of the United States, you're role modeling terrible behavior and not to mention everything that he said. So I don't mind if these guys get sick because they'll they'll it's good for the populace. This is good for the community and especially their sycophants when they find out that this shit is real. I mean, I think that liberals are, 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 or the rest of us have forgotten the um, a huge percentage of the people that support Trump are batshit crazy who really mm-hmm. are insane. I mean, the things that they believe and that's dangerous. So if there's something that can make them convince them that this is a, a real danger, right. it's the president of the United States getting sick. Right. And, and so you you think it's OK to articulate what everybody is thinking inside. You think it's think perfectly it, OK to 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 say exactly what I'm thinking. Yes, I do. Because well, I disagree to, with you. And I think you're I think you're enough. immoral for saying yeah. what I'm thinking. Yes. I think it's immoral to. for you to speak out. And say all the things I'm praying for. Your cowardice is everything that's wrong, not only with the country, but with the show, with your relationships, (laughs) with with the space that you occupy. Uh It it, it reeks of this beta delta coward. You have to join me in solidarity against the bad people you've got to it's my brand is stand up will you david feldman finally stand up to these bullies yes and, i and, i'm going to stand up and say you you go t- into the street and fight for democracy and i'll talk about it <laughs> you're gonna fine you can delegate you could be a lieutenant but the, the, the let me just be clear i hate my neighbor he's a f- 
a real jerk off, Mm -hmm. but I don't want anything bad to happen to him or his family. There's a lot of people I really dislike, a lot of comedians that we know that are are terrible people, but I don't want just because you've done a terrible thing in life. Ethan Hershenfeld is here, so watch it. Ethan's a monster. I know. He's here. He's a monster. You know who said, do you know who said? Alleged, alleged. Those are all allegations. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. Do you know who said, if you're famous, you can grab women by the pussy first? It was Ethan Hershenfeld. (laughs) It was actually. Well, it was a line, one of many lines of mine that had been stolen. (laughs) Yes. And now you finally are brave enough to claim it back. You have to take it back. This is different. This infectious disease thing is different. If you're going to spread an infectious disease on my family, if you're going to spray it all over us, I'm going to stop you. And by and what I mean by stopping you is I'm going to push Feldman right in front of you. You have kids, so you have young kids. Don't you teach them? Don't you instill in them a a sense of propriety not to not to say what's on your mind for fear of being taken to a reeducation camp by ICE? I my kids are not ICE. They look at my kids and they say, we need more of them. Look at them. They, they also Literally look at those kids and they say, it would actually be an education camp, not a re-education <laughs> camp. <laughs> That's a great joke about America. Like, in America, we have to say, yes. instead of re- completely- that's a great joke. You I should, completely you should- agree with Pete's position, by the way. That's really redeeming and interesting to know because it's a new it's a, it's a new evolution. I've never felt this way and I'm conflicted. I have been honest about how I'm not uh, sorry or unhappy that these people who are uh, creating that are spreading a disease are, are getting it themselves. I, I I'm sorry. It's not like cancer. It's not like Alzheimer's. It's an infectious disease and you're a leader and you are doing everything you can to ignore it. And even now literally spreading it, he got in a car, the, 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 most secure automobile in the world so that the, no gas could ever get in. And he got in it with Secret Service agents and breathed his infectious disease all over them. That, you know, everybody's been saying it all week. But you think when you're a Secret Service agent, you might someday have to take a bullet for the president, not from the president. But that's exactly what that is. Some yes. guy I just saw before we started, some guy by the name of Green, Tony Green. I have no idea who this guy is. But he he um, claimed that there was no such thing as COVID, that it was made up by Trump's enemies. And guess what? He's been hospitalized with COVID. And guess what I said and felt? Great. I couldn't be happier, Mr. Green, whoever you are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can't sit back and, and allow this conversation to go Unchecked. I we wish well on people when we sink to their no, level. No, we don't. Not yeah, people. I that's not how I was raised. I was well, raised you were raised wrong. <laughs> well, no, let's make it much more by the way, you his uh David Feldman's new album, I Was Raised Wrong, is going to drop <laughs> in just a month from now. Let's say if if you want to put put your put your Words to reality is the phrase that I've decided to create. I come over to your house. Uh Okay. I, you know, I've got COVID. Yes. You're telling me that you're fine with me and coming over and hanging out. I'm coming to you. You come to my house with COVID. Yes. Then as a host, 
I welcome you. Okay, well, then you're being consistent. You've read Odysseus and the, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and one of the greatest things to do is to welcome a guest into your home, bearing gifts. I have read The Art of the Deal, and that is nowhere in that book. Well, Ethan... Yes, Ethan. Doctor, let me doctor, let me doctor. thank Pete for for coming on the show. Yes, I've got to go pick up my daughter. At I, I have to. I, I I have to say, I love having you on the show, but I think you took this into a direction that I just can't approve. I am. I love this country. He is the president. You know, I respect the office, and I respect the people who work for him. I may disagree with them politically. But they're all trying to do their best for this country. Donald Wrong. Trump. Wrong. I hope you drank a bottle of COVID. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show. Pete Dominic, watch him all the time on Stand Up See with Pete Dominic. We'll be back with Bye. the with the Hershenfelds. Well, this is exciting. This is one of my favorite moments of the oh, week. It's not going to be favorite after I open my mouth. Listen, David, I have a complaint. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Right out of the yes. gate. Why does Pete get that soundproof room, headsets, professional microphone, and I have to sit here in my knees <laughs> chair and scream at my computer could, could you explain that well we're uh, we prioritize our guests and actually he complains more so the squeaky wheel gets okay. the uh well dr philip hershenfeld is a psychiatrist and his son ethan is an actor a comedian a writer and an armchair psychoanalyst is that correct <laughs> it's more of an ikea situation <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it's not really. A, by the way, speaking of respecting the office, I've, I always respect the office also. But more than that, I respect the office furniture. Because <laughs> that stuff, I mean, that's just an, that's an, always an impressive setup. I love office furniture. So, okay. Yeah. Thoughts. I'm going to ask Ethan this question, and then we'll see if he gets it right. <laughs> it's okay to have bad thoughts, Right. Ethan? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. But articulating your thoughts is another thing, correct? Yes. And it's dicey because a lot of people these days, especially in this, this is the apex of schadenfreude in the history of our country with these guys, these criminals all coming down with the disease that they deny. So there are many, many people who can look you in the eye 
or they can look you in your MacBook, which is how we're looking <laughs> at each other in the eye these days. They can look you in your MacBook and they can say, I, I wish him a speedy recovery. And it's very clear that they, they wish him a ventilator. <laughs> that's what they wish him. But they say it because that's, that's civilization. You don't necessarily have to say the thing that everyone knows you're thinking because they know you're thinking it. it. That's where the phrase, it goes without saying. Goes <laughs> it, goes, it goes without saying. This guy is a freak. He's a criminal. He's destroying our country, if not the world. And he, he deserves whatever terrible things happen to him. And may they, ha- may they happen. I'm, I've been infected with the Pete Dominic virus here. I'm just <laughs> saying it. But may he get, may he suffer the 10 plagues. May he, I mean, they, that's what they deserve. Now, the problem when you talk that way is the Secret Service might be watching and they yeah. would agree with you. <laughs> that's the problem is that you, you, you're now talking this way and the families of the Secret Service Dr. Hershenfeld, what would yeah. you tell a patient? But now this is your this is the opinion of a professional, not a professional. Okay. Yeah. A, this is not a professional opinion. This is the opinion of a professional, which is different, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Well, okay. <laughs> I come in and I start saying what uh about eighty percent of this country is thinking. Yeah. What do you? Well, a number of patients in the last number of weeks have said things. This sounds like an algebra problem. <laughs> <laughs> Let X equal the number of weeks. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I've said things like my brilliant son have just said, and then they say, oh, I shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't be thinking that. And, and you say I, for four fifty an hour, you can say what you want. You really just, I mean, if that if that doesn't if that doesn't afford you the right to talk, I mean you're, you're sunk. I say something like that, but but I leave the money. I leave the money out actually. But I do. I say, where is that written that you're not supposed to think that or say that? That our contract here is you say whatever comes to mind, period. With your with your shrink, but if you if Ethan, yeah, as your son, right, says this, you, you I w- I'm being serious. I would say to my kids, you can think that, but you can't say it. I, I agree I with you, David. I agree with you, David, because. It's not that you can't say it, but it, it serves no purpose. You're just kind of po- adding, you're sort of pouring poison onto the poison. Right. It does not get you anywhere to say it. I mean, it can get you a laugh, which that, that's a good thing to get. But right. it, it's probably best not to say it, again, because everyone knows you're thinking it anyway. Why and, and, and the reason I'm not saying it is it's this, and, and kind of bristling at it, is kind of the way a, a closet case is uncomfortable around homosexuals. I cannot tell you how many times I'm Googling Chris Christie's medical condition each day. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm obsessing on Chris Christie. I'm a Jersey boy. and I Because wanna... you want him to get better, right? Yeah, absolutely. I hope he's absolutely. getting, and I'm worried that he's going to get a surprise bill at the end uh-huh. of all this. 
How was he doing, by the way? Well, his son, who strangely is a scout for the Mets, yeah. I found out, uh, says he's doing fine, but, you know. That's, he, that's too bad. Let's put it this way. There's, there, there's, there's some uh, congestion problems on the GW Bridge and in his alveoli. <laughs> Wow. That's great. First of all. Hang on. Hang on. That was a great. That was great. Alveoli. You don't hear that in a punchline. Uh I think Alveola sang at Chris Christie's (laughs) wedding. Yeah. He sang funiculi, funicula, funiculi, funicula. Please. Alveola. Dr. Hershenfeld, go ahead, please. How old are your kids, David? Uh, they are in their 20s. I'll answer this. They're, They're 24, okay. 26, mm-hmm. 26.5. That's a confusing <laughs> thing that they're that close in age. And I, you know what? I, you know, it's not polite to ask my okay. daughters how old they are. So I well, I, I think if they're 8, 10, 12, yeah, yeah. You, you got to teach them how to be civil. But... <clears throat> But to say a blanket statement that you're not supposed to say this stuff, well, it depends where and when and for what purpose and to whom. And if you're saying it in order to say to some like-minded people, what are we going to do about this travesty? Then I think it's just fine to say that's number one. The second thing is saying it, even wishing it. It isn't going to harm anybody, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. That's that's just magical thinking. Right. Which a lot of these inhibitions are based on. If I have this evil thought or say these evil words then something bad is going to happen and then it'll come back on me and something bad will happen to me. And it's, it's a whole bunch of magical thinking. Well, what about enjoying Ethan? You brought up schadenfreude. Yeah. But before we get into the Yiddish section of the show, (laughs) I I wanted to point out, um, we'll get to schadenfreude, but my father just mentioned magical thinking. And that, that brings to mind an important thing I learned recently. You know what the favorite yoga pose of magicians is? No. Tadasana. <laughs> Tadasana. Yes, thank you. Um, that's a that's a that's a, that's a bigger that's a, stretch than most yoga <laughs> positions. Yeah, I just sprained something during that joke. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, so Sean Yes. Yeah. Uh, Can I go back to the last yes. section with Pete? Yes, please. Fly on what's his name's head. Yes. Do you remember the name Reddy? Helen Reddy? No. An Italian scientist from the Renaissance. No. I'll bet Ethan remembers him. No, but go on. It was thought once upon a time that flies came from decaying meat. So he did a simple experiment. He put some decaying meat out on a plate, and then next to it, he put some decaying meat under a bell jar so that uncovered meat produced flies because other flies had laid eggs on it. 
covered meat, no flies, because nothing comes from nothing. So I would say that this fly on what's his name's head indicates that he is dead and that he is a zombie. How about that? That's, uh, they're they're going to come, someone's going to knock on your door and revoke your license. <laughs> they are the worst. They, I, I mean, they are, the they are the absolute worst. And I, I look at Mike Pence and I look at Trump, who's announced that, you know, he has a cure now and it's going to be free. I don't mind this government killing me, but I, I want to die with dignity. You know, there's such a thing as death with dignity. This feels like I've, I've, I'm choking to death on a Cheeto alone. I, mean, I just feel stupid. It's an undignified death. They're, they're insulting what little intelligence I have. How can we get to this point? How do we get to this point? It's got to, it cannot be Trump and Pence's fault. It's, it has no, to be something else. It's, it's a long history of it. Yeah. I know you we're talking um, about saying what you're thinking and maybe that you shouldn't say it. Um, and in the spirit of saying what you're thinking that you shouldn't say, you asked who's to blame for all this. I'm going to say it tonight. It's the Jews. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> I finally, I had to fess up. I'm just feeling like um, it's my, my daughter said something. My daughter lives in Brooklyn where there's a, a problem with. Oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> with the Orthodox. And she said, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should repeat this. She said. You probably shouldn't. Yeah, maybe. In big Latin. She said. uh it's like the 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 black plague. Only this time, the allegation is correct. <laughs> yeah, I heard someone speaking this morning about this subject who made a very good point uh, on WNYC. She was saying that it it you know you can't generalize, and in fact, each of these communities is a micro community. It's just what your rebbe says. If your rebbe says you got to wear the mask and follow the rules, you do it. And if your rebbe says listen to the president. That's what they do. So it's very, it's very Mike, it's very bifurcated or right. whatever. Anyway. Well, but, um, I was walking yesterday uh, near Gracie Mansion and there were some Orthodox Jews and they were, some of them were wearing masks and some of them weren't. And uh, that made me angry. And they asked me, if I wanted to go into the sukkah tent and they asked me if I was Jewish and I kind of felt obligated to uh, speak my mind, but I didn't. Hmm. Should I have, I should have spoken my mind, yes, right? You should have. Not I've made out of I've... prejudice, but out of educating these primitive people. I actually have engaged those guys frequently in, in my neighborhood in Williamsburg. There's frequently, and they're very young guys when you get out of the subway. They say, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? They want you to do this or do that. I always take it as a compliment when they ask me if I'm Jewish. Really? You can't tell. Really? <laughs> I'm passing. You have to ask. That's nice. No, but I've, I'll give these kids a lecture, and they don't know what I'm talking about because I don't think they have a civics class in the yeshiva. But I say to them, this is like asking someone in America, who'd you vote for? 
we have a right to religion, to having no religion, to having this or that. And I have a right to not tell you my religion. And you really shouldn't ask. You shouldn't ask who I voted for. You shouldn't ask who I believe in. You shouldn't ask. And they, they don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I find it hard not to give this lecture each time one of these kids asks me that question. So I do speak my mind in that in that moment. And what is this refusal to wear masks about? Because you would think of, I mean, not to traffic in stereotypes, but... There are enough doctors in in the Jewish community. I mean, you, you would think they believe in science that they, right? How do you? No, that, not that. Not in like that Satmar Fasida community. I think it's a lot of, like a lot of the kids. They don't take science. They don't. You know, they, they're stu- they study Talmud. That's what they study, and so they don't. You know, they're living in a. That's what the doctor meant by primitive, not in some judgmental way. But they're not living in this century when it comes to you know the germ theory of disease and all that. Really? They don't know. Yeah, really. Yeah, and the rabbi doesn't know? They don't become doctors. They they don't. They're against any kind of education, let alone higher education. They're extremely educated, but in in a very narrow slice of life. And they're Trump supporters. They're they're the ones who... I think some of them are. yeah. 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 The president leads by example. I've noticed since he ripped the mask off, like the Phantom of the Opera on the Truman Balcony, fewer and fewer people are wearing masks in, of all places, New York City, where we know, supposedly know better. People take their cues from our leader. Is that anecdotal? You've noticed that? I've noticed that fewer. Yeah, I've noticed there are fewer people wearing masks. They tend to be muscular men uh, <laughs> who uh, with inviting lips. And, <laughs> and no, uh, they're almost... That, a- I'm sorry? That is anecdotal, as my good son said. And therefore, scientifically, it's worth bubkis. You would have to give us an actual count uh, I, I'll tell you, you know, I'm not being in all honesty, I go for a walk and it's hard for me to go for a walk because if I see somebody without a mask, I, I want to confront them. Uh, and the problem is at my age, most men can beat me up. So I, most of my walk is spent hating the aging process and my inability to confront a maskless man and just... Uh, let the chips fall where they may. I noticed there are, I noticed, you know, Manhattan, I'm walking, I would say, I'd have to count next time, but I would say a significant number of people. I would say one out of 20, two out of, two out of 20, we're not wearing masks, as opposed to a week ago where, Maybe one out of 30, one out of 40. I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass right now to keep the show moving. But You know Mr. Miyagi? Wax on, wax off? That's that guy, exactly. What about if him? You get, if you get yourself a black belt in karate, then you can beat the shit out of these people at whatever age you are. I fantasize more... If, if given a choice of sex with Natalie Portman or pulling 
a young man out of a Porsche. And having and, sex with him. Having sex. <laughs> no, uh, I, I would prefer to pull a young man out of a Porsche, somebody who's blasting music and he's with a beautiful girl and he's, he's running red lights and he's just this arrogant prick. If, if a genie said to me, sex with Natalie Portman or you get to drag this punk out of his... You should say to that guy, where'd you get your genie license? Yeah. That's the choice. <laughs> <laughs> He's a genie school dropout. But I would remember beating that kid up more than I would sex with oh. Natalie Portman. And there are consequences to sex with Natalie Portman. So my question you know what? stands, why are you getting that black belt, David? Because, the, because then you're told, you, once you have a black belt, you lose the urge to, to, to fight. Man. You lose your rage. Well, not you. <laughs> By the way, the other thing I, I, in your fantasy, I really, I think those Porsche guys, I'm very suspicious about them because it's a, it's a 9-11 Do you think that's a coincidence? I I think you're right. That's disturbing. Yeah. I think there's something there. Has that been looked into? (laughs) What do you think happens now in in terms of the progression of the COVID-19? I don't think anything stops these people. I don't think he I don't think Trump gets sicker. I don't think Chris Christie gets sicker. I think they come back and they preach survival of the fittest and herd immunity. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the projections of 400,000 by the end of the year, that's what's going to happen. There's no change of administration. There's no change of policy. There's no one like there's no magic wand where suddenly people are actually following some public health policy. It ain't happening. We can continue to maybe avoid the worst outcome, which would be two million but it's we're going to 400. It's going to be half a million before the inauguration, hopefully, of Biden, before policies actually get put in place. We're looking at, um, yeah, maybe a million uh, Americans dead from this thing. And are the American so. people angry? <clears throat> yeah, I think most people think that Trump is doing a terrible job, even his supporters. In the, they love what he's doing with the stock market although he's not doing it with the stock market, but they love that. But they, they, they know he's a failure with COVID, but they say, well, I'm not going to get it. Maybe somebody else will get it. Right. No, and they also love, and we were just talking about this here at home, uh, they love that as many victims of COVID that he may or may not be responsible for, he's responsible for saving 10 times that many fetuses every week. There are many people in this country who really they believe those those little prenatal babies are way more valuable than your Uncle Sal or Aunt Sally like that. That's the calculus. And so he's and with this new Supreme Court justice, he's going to save so many more humans, fetal or non-fetal. And yet this this cocktail that supposedly cured him started was developed by using fetal tissue. Which is oh, some, I thought they said, I misread it. I thought it said feta cheese. Feta? <laughs> I went out and got a whole bunch of feta. God. Are you sure? I, I'm pretty sure it was fetal tissue. Oh, yeah. God. I'm pretty sure it was feta cheese. 
I love a Greek salad, except I don't. Why are they putting anchovies in there? What is a fish doing in my salad? It's a salad. It's something. There's a fish. Why is there seafood? Why is there seafood in my salad? This makes no sense. And if you're going to put seafood in my salad, take out the bones. It's like a graveyard in there. It's like a graveyard in a bowl. Get those fish out of there. And if you're going to put olives in there, fine, but get the pits out of there. Yes. The whole thing, it's like, yes. it's like, a, it's like a minefield. I mean, leave out, the, leave out the olives, leave out the fish, and then you have a salad. It's very upsetting. That is something to be angry about. Now yes. I'm pissed off. Yes. Now you got and, me angry. And he, this guy cannot stop complaining about a, a meal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was he a picky eater yeah. when he was a young man? No, but, you know, he's got this riff. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I wasn't picky, but actually it was on like Thursday nights whenever you had your class. He, he would teach one night a week. And my mom would take the three of us to McDonald's. That was our big splurge. So we would go to really? McDonald's. Yeah. I never and, uh, allowed that. You didn't know about that. Okay. I'm letting you know. This is, McDonald's? I'm, yeah. I'm not kidding you. I would get the filet of fish. <laughs> <laughs> but, and this is a newsflash from nice. Sometimes you're, uh, wait a second. This is an example of sometimes you shouldn't say what you're thinking. Look at the consequences what now. You know, You've created problems between your mother and your father now, Ethan. Yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, so, but, but this is what I wanted to say. I would, I would end up having to carry my food out because my brother, sister, and my mother, they were finished, but I had this OCD approach to eating. I would have to have one bite of the hamburger, one fry, one sip of Coke, one bite, one fry, one sip, one bite, one fry, one sip. It was, I mean, I had some OCD, Mick, Mick OCD thing going on. <laughs> So um, I don't remember what we were talking about, but that's a, that's something about me. Picky eater. Yes, I was. A picky eater. I didn't want the stuff to touch on the plate either. I didn't want those food groups. I didn't want, you know, that thing you want, it's like separate but equal on my plate. That was my, <laughs> it was very like pre-Brown versus Board of Education on my plate. Well, you're, you're, there's dairy and there's supposedly at McDonald's, there's some meat. They yeah. claim yeah. that there's some meat. Bernays, I got convinced when I had small kids that I had to take my kids to McDonald's. That it felt like the right thing. It felt American. <laughs> Even though I didn't approve of the food, the way they treated their employees, and I would, you know, go in, I could just feel my clothes. Like I would come home and still smell the grease. But I felt that this was a rite of passage for me as a parent to take my kids and they would play in the balls that they had those plastic balls. That's all the work of Bernays. And, and yes. what but do you remember the kangaroos? The kangaroos? The kangaroos. No. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. This anecdote from for your time, David. <clears throat> There was a time when they discovered some big ship coming from Australia, bringing frozen kangaroos <laughs> to a McDonald's fa factory somewhere. And this was a really big scandal. I got to check this on Snopes. This is <laughs> and 
Kids used to hop out of the McDonald's <laughs> as a way of, of, you know, memorializing this. How is it possible? Cause and effect. You eat a McDonald's and you feel sick immediately. Everybody, I mean, everybody who eats a McDonald's has to feel sick at least the next day. How can they not make the connection between eating garbage and feeling like garbage? What or is is this just a death wish? Why do people eat? Why does, why does a guy drink his brains out, wake up with the worst hangover in the world, swear he's never going to drink again, and then do it again the next night? Coupons. <laughs> huh? Coupons. Like. <laughs> It's just a, a bargain can sometimes really be irresistible. Can they? By the way. Yeah. No, I, I will occasionally. I, you know, I've been a vegan for quite a while. I will occasionally stop at a McDonald's on a, a road trip just to get the fries and a Coke. I love that snack. It's terrible for you. And it's all sugar and fat and the whole thing. And it doesn't make me feel bad. It's delicious. And, and it is horrible. And you know it's not healthy. But So I, I want to fess up to that again. Uh, and this show, the theme of which is say the thing, say the unsaid. The the psychiatric community and Bernays and the ability to predict human behavior, Cambridge Analytica, you would think by now you could bring enough shrinks and scientists, mathematicians into a room and manufacture the most addictive food imaginable right I mean, they have they've succeeded at that in fact it's the thing i'm describing it's that salt sugar combination i think right. that's what they have some right in there salt yeah. sugar and fat yeah so that's it that's salt it. sugar and fat people are suckers for it yeah. and it's even evolutionary because you know 50,000 years ago, when you were always on the verge of starvation, the more of this stuff you could, you, could, you could stuff into you, like those grizzly bears, the greater your sense of survival, your, your chances of survival. So they know that they're doing this? Because I remember last year when Burger King started selling the Impossible Burger, I thought, okay, I'll go to Burger King and try the Impossible Burger. And I couldn't stop eating it. I, I kept ordering more and more and more. <laughs> and I thought, there's something wrong with this Impossible Burger. But it was salt, fat, and yeah. sugar that they were adding, that they were surrounding that Impossible Burger with that made me hungrier. Yeah, ketchup. Yeah. What's the difference stuff. between that and selling cocaine? When when you conspire to manipulate your the taste hours. buds, the big difference is the hours. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Well, this is this is so great. Thank you. So I I literally see stars. You make me laugh so hard. I uh, nice. thank you for doing this. We did a, a, a vice presidential debate party last night that ran late and we were scrambling to get this show up. And thank you for doing this. And it shows. Yeah. <laughs> 
This was the best one. They just keep getting better. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, thank you. Ethan Thug Thug Jew is the name of your album. Oh, oh, and also, I want. Oh, go ahead. Thank you, David. If I may plug something else, I just started watching it. I'm on this show. Get your free Quibi trial membership. Quibi. Uh, on your phone, you can watch all sorts of content. And I'm on a show on Quibi called The Expecting, which I might have said before. It's like it's like Rosemary's Baby meets Rosemary's Baby. That's the pitch. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty Rosemary's Baby-ish. But the nice thing with this free trial, it's not a thing where they you have to give your credit card and then if you forget to cancel, they charge it. This is an actual free trial where they don't ask for the credit card until the end of the 14 days. So you actually can watch this series, The Expecting, from start to finish. You can see me in a very freaky role and uh, and watch it. I'm setting up this uh, streaming service where all you have to do is give me your credit card. There's nothing to watch, nothing to do. You just give me your credit card and we're good. And you you don't even hear from me again. I like it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hershenfeld, and thank you, Ethan. We'll be back with the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. That was great. That was so great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So great. So great. Thank you. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now. For the David Feldman Show So get your ears on right Buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say And he's coming your way Thank you, thank you, Professor Mike Steinell, Professor of Jazz Studies. I can listen to him all day, and I do on Pandora, the Mike Steinell Quintet. Let's go to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by for a quarter of a century. He ran Americans United for separation of church and state. 
besides being a member of the Supreme Court Bar, besides being an attorney, he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of, I always get tripped up on this word, Christ? Perfect. Thank you. It's perfect. Christ. Christ. It's perfect. You're a minister and a lawyer. Correct. Well, you did a great job helping us out with the post-vice presidential debate wrap-up. And I guess everybody agrees the day after that Kamala has, uh, she took it. She took it. Well, everybody except the president. Of course, the president was on Fox and Friends this morning and referred to uh, Senator Harris as a communist at least once and a monster at least twice, which I think even by his standards is a pretty slum, sleazy thing to do. You just don't call a senator that. And then all day, CNN for what it's worth, have been attempting to get a single Republican senator to defend their colleague, Kamala Harris, to at least say it was inappropriate for the president to make those comments about her. They couldn't get a single person. They started at eight o'clock this morning. I was just watching it six o'clock on Thursday night. Still no Republican senator would come, not only to to her defense, but just to say it was inappropriate. That's the kind of thing that Susan Collins would say. I thought it was inappropriate. They couldn't even get her to go on camera and say that. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, along with uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, has introduced legislation to set up a 25th Amendment commission that would look into the president's ability to discharge the offices of the executive branch. Do we need a commission? I mean, it's the the evidence is incontrovertible. He's obviously juicing because of COVID-19. He's on some kind of steroid. Sure. The, The behavior just amplifies what he's like all the time. It's just amplified it's just a little bit more but not much more no of course you know this is the thing when i was lobbying for various progressive organizations over my career one of the things that you always could get them to do if you couldn't get them to do what you wanted you could usually get them to set up some kind of a study commission that would go somehow into the next Congress, so that they could come up with some kind of a report. And uh, that was a, a saving grace they could get out of it. The 25th Amendment requires vastly more than a couple of members of Congress chit-chatting about it. If they want to chit-chat about anything, much as I really like Jamie Raskin, he's a friend and he's somebody I used to be my congressman, uh, this is not what I would spend my time on. I would spend my time, as I mentioned last week, on consistent impeachment. Get impeach, impeach him over three or four things, send him over to the Senate, delay the process of considering Amy Barrett, who really will become a Supreme Court justice unless they do something 
something dramatic. And I see no evidence that the Democrats in the Senate are willing to do anything dramatic. But if you, you send articles of impeachment over to the Senate, they must have a trial, and that would delay things considerably. I see nothing. I think last night when uh, Mike Pence had the audacity to say, uh, you know, we don't, I don't really know what she thinks about Roe versus Wade, then he hasn't been reading anything. From 2006, when she signed a letter as a Notre Dame professor calling abortion a barbaric practice, calling for the overturning of Roe versus Wade, to her constant focus in the Seventh Circuit and every possible reproductive justice case on being on the wrong side. Of course we know what she's going to do. Why lie about it? Well, Mike Pence was, when he wasn't not noticing that fly, he was really good at lying. Yes, yeah. What can Schumer do with three Republican senators sidelined by COVID-19? With, with three Republican senators? Yeah. We have, yeah. We have three no, Republicans. Uh, they can't do anything because, as uh, I think uh, the illustrious Senator Cotton, as well as, as Senator McConnell said, basically, even if they're sick, if Tom Tillis is sick, if Mike Lee is sick, we'll wheel them into the Senate so they can cast their vote. Because you actually do in the Senate. You have to show up and cast your vote. Or they don't do McConnell could change the rules, right? There is. He could change the rule, but it would be, I think he would not want to do that. And what did we learn today about, yesterday about Mitch McConnell? He said he hadn't been to the White House since August because now he said, you know, they didn't have the right policy about masks. I always wear my mask, but I didn't want to go over there because they were not wearing their mask. So even Mitch McConnell finally admitted he was nervous about the conduct of the White House, in particular the president. Well, he's going to be 80, Mitch McConnell. He can't. You know, he's not going to, uh, Democrats are not going to, there's literally nothing they can do if they're not willing to do something procedurally. We know they're not willing to do anything procedurally. They're not going to call, require a quorum call if Bernie Sanders sat there all the time and just insisted that there be 51 people present. That's a constitutional requirement. Very difficult to manipulate that by changing the rules. Explain the that. Explain what that means. Yeah, well, it means that you have to have 51 people, since there are, you know, 100 senators, you have to have 51 present in order to conduct business. If you can't have the 51 people there, and the Senate never has 51 people there, because the senators, uh, they got better things to do, like raising money for their reelection. So they don't show up. But if one member objects and says, I suggest the absence of a quorum, then they have to have a quorum call. They call all the offices. They send out, a, I've seen it happen only once, the sergeant in arms to go and find the senator, drag him in. Literally, didn't 51. Bob Packwood get dragged by his feet? <laughs> yeah. It's funny you should bring up Bob Packwood because I had a question. I was, I was hoping the Hershenfelds might have a response to this. Bob Packwood, of course, got into a lot of uh, uh, sexual harassment trouble and eventually had to leave. Republican. Republican. Moderate. And he 
but I knew so many people on his senior staff. He had a, a woman chief of staff for a long time. They never experienced sexual harassment. I knew a lot of progressive organizations because he was legitimately a progressive Republican, one of the few that was left. They didn't have this kind of problem, but some did. And well, predators, that's how, predi- that's how predators roll. I mean, they... That's right. They act nice around enough people, so they'll vouch for notice. him. They'll vouch for him when he goes after the. the yeah. I will. I will never forget. I, I knew someone on Gary Hart's staff, and he he, he called me. He said, "Come on, let's have a very late lunch." He had a very late lunch. He said, "There's going to be some bad stuff about Gary Hart." Try the rice. Yes. Lunch, try the rice. Lunch. You don't get it? No, I didn't hear it. Try the rice. I'm having lunch. There's <laughs> try the rice. What's the bad news? Wasn't it Donna Rice? Wasn't that the bad news? <laughs> that was the bad news. Okay. Do you know, to this day, neither Donna Rice, who became an anti-pornography advocate, after years out of the spotlight, she did get married. She lives in Northern Virginia. And uh, she became a big anti-pornography advocate. But she has never admitted that she had an affair. And Gary Hart never admitted he had an affair with her. He did say in the mid-'80s, I did have an affair. But he never mentioned whether it was Donna Rice. So to this day, but what gives these people, and the reason this is relevant, we have one of the most likely to defeat a terrible Republican senator in North Carolina, Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham was way ahead. He's six, seven points ahead. It looked like a shoe-in. When Tom Tillis got sick with COVID-19, it looked even better for his election. And then first we hear about sexting, a, some lurid statements being made over the internet, over texting, sexting. Now we know it was more than that. He actually had an affair with this woman. Now, they haven't polled lately in the last couple of days. Does this make a difference? But I don't understand why. It, what is it about politicians, Republicans and Democrats, who think that they can get away with anything? There's evidence you can, because, of course, Bill Clinton uh, managed to... Uh, be seduced, as Hillary said, by Monica Lewinsky. And, of course, our current president grabs women by the P's. And the Q's. And the Q's. And the Q's. <laughs> but I'll tell you, but what is it? What is it, this power trip that people get on as, as politicians? I mean, I know so many people who were good progressive people, I thought, who were caught up in the whole Me Too movement, activists, people who from various walks of life and various causes that got caught up and and quit because, not because they were pressured into it, but in most cases because they said, well, I did it and it was inappropriate, so I quit. Right, right. Why, why is it? Why, why don't they, why don't they quit or why do they do that? No, why do they, why do they, why do they get into this these problems in the first place? I think it goes there, there's it? something sexually charged 
about power. When you, I noticed it. I used to go up to Sacramento. It's the capital of California. When I lived in Los Angeles, yep. and, I, and I would do shows, and there was something very sexually charged. There, there is power. There are. There's a neediness. The people who gravitate to power, either wanting power or to be around it. They tie their sexual appetites in with it, don't they? You know, there were people. I think Obama was the exception. I think Obama. Well, and I think George Charter's, W. Bush was the exception. Yeah, I mean George W. Bush got. Um, I mean, his father got in trouble once with, with Ms. the Ms. allegation that that woman who's standing in a famous picture, Fitzgerald. Uh, well, yeah, he was in a wheelchair at the time. But no, no, no. He was having an affair with a woman named Fitzgerald for decades. But then he was groping women. He groped Martha Previtt. The groping case. Yeah, he groped but, Martha Previtt earlier. She was on the show Martha. earlier. Really? Yeah. Martha, are you here? Martha Previtt? Martha's down there. I can see her on the screen. Martha? Jim, do you want to tell us about the time... George Herbert Walker Bush grabbed Martha by the, uh, all right. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, yeah, I know, I know the power dynamic and all of that, but I still think people ought to recognize if they're going into politics, they ought to want to stay in politics. Cal Cunningham ought to want to be the Senator in North Carolina, not only because it's a good job for at least six years, but also because it matters to the country. And I'd like to think that most people go into politics because they think, whether it's right or wrong-headed, they think that they're going to do something for the country. So when they do this stuff, and they're not even good at covering it up, obviously they do a disservice to the country. So Cunningham, one of the most likely people to flip a seat in the Senate, now I'm sure by Six, five, six days from now, it'll be even again, and he'll probably lose. And well, I'm looking at the polls right now. The real clear politics averages show Cunningham, the Democrat, challenging the incumbent Tom Tillis. Cunningham is leading by five points. The most recent survey was October 4th to October 5th, 911 likely voters Cunningham is leading by six points. Yeah, that was before, though, we knew that he... Um, mm, around the same that this time. This was not sexting, that this was actually an affair. I think it's going to go downhill. And you've occasionally accused me of being a scold, but I do think there's some reason to be a scold. I wrote to the Cunningham campaign. I had just given him another $250 a couple of days ago, and I wrote him. After Did he the, text you, you know, they, with a thank you? <laughs> I don't think he even got a, a thank you. <laughs> like I gave my mo- they gave money finally through Act Blue. Oh. I'm not even sh- but which you know I have a lot of trouble with. But nevertheless, I'll tell you what's not blue with him. that guy. Campaign, you know what's not said, blue with stop Cunningham? Sending me these things. Stop sending me. I sent you money. You have betrayed the Democratic Party. You have betrayed any progressive instincts you had. And the only thing that he said in apology and that 
people are saying now is, well, he at least admitted it, unlike uh, another uh, North Carolina, Senator John Edwards, who you remember uh, after he left, he was in a very, he was certainly competitive with Barack Obama and with Hillary Clinton. He's running in the primary. He's doing very well. And then all of a sudden, he has an affair. And a baby. Or an affair is revealed. And, and a then baby. he says, well, I had an affair. And then a few months later, he said, well, I also fathered a child. So Cunningham. Which reminds me, you know, he talked about two Americas and he had a family for each one of them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, you know, Charles Carroll did. Yes. Um, yes, he did. But he did have. I know. He, I know. <laughs> I know. But it, I think people ought to be That takes a lot of I work, think, doesn't it? To have two families. What, to be responsible? <laughs> what? Oh, no, it doesn't take a lot of work just to be responsible. No, I'm saying it takes a lot of work to have two families. <laughs> yes, it, in the, I bet three families are easier because you can get one of them to work with the third one on raising your loved children in the second one. Right. That's, that's, that's the obvious way. to. That's a trifecta. Well, I, I, I think it speaks volumes to why John Edwards should run for president. He's a multitasker. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. Exactly. No, but um, but it does. But you know, Clinton. I, I had reason. I I've been writing this book, and as a consequence, I I find these people that I used to know. I haven't spoken to them in years, and then I I have a researcher who's working, finding their phone numbers, their contacts, and I found a guy who was a very very rigid right winger. He used to go, he was a fabulous guy at getting Prince attention at Supreme Court hearings. And he famously, along with his brother, once brought uh, allegedly uh, what was alleged to be a fetus in a jar to make a point. Hmm. And he was really good. I mean, he was really good. I never understood who he represented, but he was always there. He had a collar on. He had something. He had a crucifix fiction scene going on. And he got an enormous amount of attention. Then a few years ago, he had what he considered and what he writes in a book, uh, a third he was born a second time, reborn a second time. He, he started as a Jew. He then he became an evangelical right wing Christian. And now he's actually posted that he is voting for Joe Biden, that he's already voted for Joe Biden because he can't stand Trump. Now, this so, is, a guy, is he voting for. So in the second rebirth, he was oxygen deprived. Is that <laughs> no? Not that I know of, oh, okay. but I, but he, I, I wrote him. I said, were you the guy that got me to do a thing on C-SPAN with a bunch of right wing preachers? And you, you were looking for some liberal preacher about Bill Clinton's conduct with Monica Lewinsky. And, and he said yes. And he sent me a link to a C-SPAN uh, thing about it. And, and I, I got a lot of trouble for this because I what I said, it's not responsible for a person like Bill Clinton with his enormous power that he has to decide he should have oral sex from a woman who works for him. That's just 
101. But nobody decides they're going to have oral sex with somebody who works (laughs) with them. Nobody puts down, you know, I think I think I'm I think I'm going to decide to have oral sex. I mean, she (laughs) it, it was it was the heat of the moment, wasn't it? No, of course it wasn't in the heat of the moment. He was attracted to her, and Hillary became his enabler. Another thing I've said that gets me in trouble. It is not right. Hillary Clinton was asked about this during the campaign, and she said, well, she was of age, and basically suggested Monica seduced her husband, right? Well, she did flash her thong at Bill. Yeah, yeah. But you know something? When you're a grown-up, a really grown-up person, not 22 years old, you ought to be able to say, that's interesting. Maybe you think, that's cute, but you don't follow up on it. You don't plan it. You don't cover it up. Now, you're not a proponent of QAnon, correct? QAnon. You don't believe in QAnon, right? No, I, be- I believe it exists, but of course well, it's insane. What did Monica Lewinsky deliver? There was a government shutdown. What did she deliver to the Oval Office? Do you remember during the government shutdown how she met Bill Clinton? What did she deliver? Yeah. She delivered a book. Pizza. Oh, pizza. She brought pizza. Oh, yeah, from... Comet Pizza, probably. Well, well probably, no. but he did meet her. She was sent out to pick up pizza. I'm not, I'm not a, unlike you, I don't subscribe to the QAnon theory, but maybe you're right, oh. Reverend. <laughs> yeah, well, don't. <laughs> uh, you Comet Pizza, you can play ping pong there. Uh-huh. And in my experience, because I've gone there a couple of times, a ping pong, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, is better uh, than the pizza. The pizza, but the fresh blood, the baby the blood, not blood. bad. That was in the basement that doesn't exist. Yeah. Remember, the guy who came in and shot up, wanted to shoot up Comet Pizza because he wanted to find the enslaved teenagers in the basement, neglected to remember that they have a basement in that building. Yeah. And they haven't dug one yet. He said, I had bad intel. That was, uh, hey. um, That's what he said. I had bad intel. These are the real clear politics national averages. Biden's up by close to 10 points. In the battlegrounds, the real clear politics averages show him up by 4.5. In Georgia, he's leading Trump by 0.3. We pretty much know that Georgia is not a battleground state because Kemp is the governor. He's going to fix that. But that's still pretty good. Uh, Pennsylvania, Biden's up by seven. Michigan, he's up by six. Wisconsin, up by 5.5. North Carolina, Biden's up by 1.4. Arizona, Arizona hasn't gone blue since Bill Clinton's re-election of 1996. That's right. Biden's up by three. You know, it, just those states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Arizona, he doesn't need Florida. He's up by 
a point or two there too. Yeah, three. He doesn't need Ohio. He doesn't need these stretches in Iowa, North Carolina. He doesn't need to win any of those states. And he will be the president, not only by the popular vote, but also by the electoral college vote. I don't. I mean, I literally cannot think of anything that could happen to Joe Biden, or anything he could do or say that would cost him the election. The question, as I mentioned last night, is: Will there be enough Senate seats flipped to make a difference? Because he's the president. He is not. If he's the president, he's not going to be able to get anything accomplished that he wants to do. If Mitch McConnell, who is He's going to win in Kentucky again, I'm afraid. It, but you need those four seats or five seats maybe flipped in order to gain control over policy making, so that those of us who know that Joe Biden is not close to the progressive that we would want can apply real pressure to him. So we can expand the court so that we can do things like real and serious Healthcare for everyone. We can do real environmental change and have it approved by the Supreme Court when it gets challenged by people who used to be, in my judgment, they were fringe thinkers about the Constitution. Now we call them, in many cases, judges of appeals courts in this country. Well, looking at the Senate, Sarah Gideon is leading Susan Collins by close to four points in Maine. As I mentioned earlier, Cunningham is leading Tillis in North Carolina by five. Michigan, Peters, is leading by 4.4%. He's an incumbent, though, so that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I don't... I don't think you're going to find a lot of... Kelly is winning in Arizona. Yep. Um, I don't think they're going to get a, a veto-proof Senate by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, a filibuster-proof Senate, but... Uh, no. Well, I mean, they're going to have... I've always been skeptical of getting rid of the filibuster, but I'm not ske- uh, skeptical anymore. I think you have to get rid of it. You have to expand the court at least by four more people. You have to get them through. And then you have to uh, make sure that those of us who live in the District of Columbia and people who live in Puerto Rico do get actual Senate representation. That would be four very solid, three very solid, maybe four solid Democratic votes. Certainly here in the district, uh, I don't think that we've elected a, uh, we've elected a Republican except you have to have one on the city council, I believe is still the law here. But, you know, there, there aren't any Republicans here. Right. I live in a place that is uh, 70 townhouses. I think there's one person who has some kind of a bumper sticker suggesting that she probably is a Trump voter, one. Before you go, Joe Biden refuses to say whether or not he would support packing the Supreme Court. He says, you'll know my opinion on court packing when the election is over. I like that. I th- I, that's one of the first things he's done where I thought, eh, that's not bad. No, it's not. It's not bad. Um, 
again, I hope, I hope I'm trying to try to do this. This is like teaching you how to pronounce Christ. Mm-hmm. We don't like to call it packing the court. We call it balancing the court or we call it expanding the court. And, uh, but you don't, they've already packed the court by not giving Merrick Garland a hearing for nine months, by rushing through Amy Barrett, they've already packed the court. So this packing the thing is already done. Kamala Harris should have said that last night. Joe Biden can put a little footnote to this comment about you'll find out when you in and just say they've already managed to pack the court. Right. Point it out, remind people of it, and remind people that we've packed every one of the appeals courts. I don't know if you saw this, but just yesterday, the Seventh Circuit, on which Amy Coney Bryant sits, uh, voted to ref- to not permit the a judge's ruling from below, a trial court, uh, to allow an extension of the time that you can count votes that have been submitted uh, in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, the judge had said you can, you can count those that are received within a week of the election. And this appeals court, with all Republicans, two, of them, two to one decision, and they said, uh, no, you can't. You, you can't make a change like that so close to the election. The dissenting Republican appointee said, uh, you know, if they had done this earlier, she said, I I think my colleagues here would have said it was premature to consider this change in the voting procedure. So that's what happens. You you contaminate the lower courts and they've they've had 95 appeals court judges named by Donald Trump alone, to say nothing of all the ones that came in from prior Republican administration. It's almost a record. He hasn't broken Jimmy Carter's record, correct? Of judges? Yeah. I don't think Carter got to that number. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I think Carter, I was reading somewhere that Carter may have gotten more judges in the judiciary. It's possible. Yeah. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State for nearly a quarter of a century. Besides being a member of the Supreme Court Bar, besides being an attorney, is also an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your insight for yesterday's uh, post-debate mop-up. You, as always... Bring so much to the table. Well, even I'm happy to even do a table. You bring a table. <laughs> we don't have. I'm, I have a table right here. Yeah. I, um, in the unlikely event that they actually have another debate, I would be happy to join well, you again. Thank you. But it looks like if I were Joe Biden, I would say I'm not doing this anymore. He would. I would put a footnote. We love to hear David Feldman's thoughts. He did a very fine wrap-up of uh, uh, debate last night. But we don't need to hear another one. We don't need to hear any more presidential debates. Joe Biden should just say no. Right, right. Follow the Reverend 
on Twitter at Barry W. Lynn and visit his website, BarryWLynn.com. There's some old firing lines on your website, correct? There are. You and Bill Buckley going of the specials. I did one on evolution and a couple on religion. And uh, they're they're interesting. This was back when you were an Orthodox rabbi debating Bill Buckley through a hole in a white sheet. Is that correct? Yeah, that was right. Yeah, what we did was I would I would stand outside of a window and I would drop a quarter in a little slot and then I would see Bill Buckley and I go, Bill, how do you feel? Take off your clothes. Oh, that's when you were a private dancer. That's what, yeah. That's what, that's that with up. the plexiglass. That, yeah. Is that what you were I, going for? I don't like to scare I don't like to scare children or pets. Right. But actually, if you go to BarryWLynn.com, you'll see that I'm I'm on a a very interesting podcast uh, about sex. And I'm able to talk about, it's called Two Girls, One Microphone. Mm. And I think they're going to air it next week. And it tells, it's stories of my, uh, my days crusading against censorship, even of pornography. Yes, you're a big proponent of the First Amendment. I am. Even though there's talking with you. There's not a lot of talking, not a lot of speech in in pornography. Usually their (laughs) mouths are occupied. Well, there's a lot of noise. I don't know how much freedom of speech is being protected by (laughs) pornography. Oh my. Have fun. Stay out of trouble, Reverend. We'll be back Stay out of trouble, Reverend. We'll be Only good. good trouble. Okay, we'll be back with Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, author of Raised by Animals, after this. Thank you, Reverend. Hot times in the city 
in the city. Hot towns in the city. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Pro- Professor Mike Steinell. I can listen to him all day, and I do on Pandora. I listen to the Mike Steinell quintet. Great, great musician. Hey, I'm really excited to make this announcement. You know, we've been doing pay-per-view events every Saturday night to raise money for certain charities, and they've been incredibly successful. And as a way to thank everybody, we're doing a YouTube special this Saturday night. It's going to be on our Zoom room, but we're also putting it up on YouTube. It's this Saturday, October 10th at 9 p.m., we're having a special show, an evening with Dr. Jen, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. Please join us on YouTube or in the Zoom room Friday night, not Friday night, Saturday night, October 10th. Join us as we talk about consciousness and other species, how the pandemic is impacting wildlife, what we can learn from other animals and what wild animals get up to when they think no one's watching. We'll be taking calls and no topic is off limits. And it's an evening with Dr. Jen. And you can watch it on YouTube or you can join us in the Zoom room. That's where we'll be taking our questions. If you want to join us in the Zoom room, go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the attend a live taping pull down menu and you'll get an invitation and you can ask questions and get up close and personal with Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, who joins us today. Hello, Dr. Jen. Hi, can you hear me with my fancy new microphone? Yeah, you do have a, you have a new microphone. Tap on it, let's see if it's actually plugged in. No, it's not plugged in. Oh no. You have to go to- uh, I plugged it in and I selected it as the microphone. Oh wait. Uh, you have to go to Apple and check your input and your output. Okay. It'll take one second. But isn't it cute? It's a a Yeti. I know. It's so cute. It's tiny. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess maybe I'll figure it out next time. Well, we can do it very quickly. I'll show you how to do it. Go to Apple Preferences. Go to Sound. Okay. All right. Let's see. I did that. Okay. And you'll see. see. I selected Input Yeti Nano. Output. Um, oh, should the output be Yeti Nano? Uh, well, go to your system preferences for Zoom. Oh, okay. So you you all are, are seeing how bad I am at um, technological stuff. So it says the Yeti Nano is the input level. In, really? In Zoom, yeah. So it's testing... Okay. And it, I see, I see sound going. Okay, tap on oh. the mic one more time. Oh, it's working. Oh, good. I did it right. Yay. But it, we're still getting some kind of. Uh, what are the settings on the back of the mic? Oh, I don't know. Is it? Are There's you on one, button. two? Or, what does There's one, a, two, or three say? How about this? Is that better? Is that better? Maybe you need to talk closer to the mic. Hello. That's better. Okay. <laughs> For those of you watching or listening, you're not only getting to see how the sausage is made, you're getting to watch it get digested and evacuated at the same time. Oh, so now I have to get close to the sausage is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, now you sound great. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Well, I don't refer to the microphone as a sausage. I call hey, it the sausage. Is what like I call one. the microphone the sausage. Okay, so I just I, I'll work this out next time where it has a little platform. For now, I'll just scoot my it, chair down. It sounds down. great, and now it sounds okay. great. Now it great. sounds it's professional. We're ready. Ooh. We're ready for an evening with Dr. Jen. Dr. Jen is an animal behaviorist. And she's the author of several books, Pick Up Raised by Animals, and subscribe to her newsletter by going to jenniferverdelin.com. What is your website? I don't have it in front of me. It's jenniferverdelin.com. And, uh, and there you'll, you can listen to the first chapter of Wild Connection, um, what courtship and mating, uh, you know, tells us about human relationships and then you can also get some information on raised by animals which i will now also be making an audiobook of that so that'll be fun and we're also asking people to go to dr jen's website and suggest what kind of online courses you'd want to take with the good doctor this saturday october 10th at nine o'clock we're going to do an evening with dr jen we're going to try to figure out how to have the Zoom room watch us on YouTube and then ask questions. We're, we have one little hurdle to overcome, but I think we have it figured out. I think people can be in a Zoom room and also watch us on YouTube at the same time, don't you? I think so. I have no idea. I mean, I, so uh, this will be a fun experiment and I'll be prepared for technological snafus but i think it'll be fun and i'm excited to talk about all these different topics especially animals gone wild because there's stuff going on out there that you like the other day i just happened upon a butterfly you know, minding its own business having breakfast eating some nectar i mean ne nectar is like a gateway drug i've been saying that for a very long time and out of nowhere comes a honeybee and just dive bombed into this butterfly. So there's bee on butterfly violence happening everywhere. Right. And you taught us last week about kleptoparasites, which wow. so many people now are using that term to describe, you know, who the president. It's perfect, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, who else has spent their entire life stealing the hard work of others? Yes. Well, the debate was Wednesday night. Everybody is talking about the fly. But I nobody know. can give us the kind of insight into flies and why they land on shit. What well, is the relationship? Everybody made that joke. Right. But explain, explain to us why flies are attracted to pieces of shit. Well, it's and it's also cadavers or anything rotten. Basically, if you're mm -hmm. rotten to the core, that's going to bring a fly. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, of course, it was just perfection and it stayed for a while. So so they they usually they feed off of dead, decaying, rotten cadavers and uh you know and shit poop fecal matter whatever mm -hmm. right dung there's so many beautiful words for that and uh and they also will lay their their eggs in that right so they their larvae then hatch and have something to eat when they um 
when they come into the world. So if Mike Pence washes his hair, he's killing babies. Oh, well, yeah, right. There's that. I mean, pro-life. I don't know. Mm. I don't think so. But the fascinating thing that no one seemed to be talking about is how do flies find the things, the cadavers, the rotten flesh, the dung to land on? Right. And from how far away? So in a perfect world with no no wind, nothing to interfere from seven kilometers, so that's like three miles and a little bit of change, a fly can smell bullshit. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like how? You know, bull, like a bull. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A bull. Uh-huh. And so from seven kilometers away, that's, that's how far it can smell it. And it uses like a lot of insects. Uh, its antenna have all of these, um, uh, you know, olfactory receptors, these nerve cells that just, you know, so they literally, this fly could have been over three miles away and went, Oh, (laughs) and, and nothing interfered. Right. And, um, and, uh, uh, and it landed on, and and what I was struck by was, was how long it stayed. Right. I mean, it, you know, for a fly to stay on you for a while, while you're talking and moving and, that's that's a feat that, you know, I mean, I rescued a fly that was in the water. It was drowning. So I put it on my shoulder and it stayed on my shoulder for like 30 minutes because it had to dry out. Right. So but that's I've never had a fly land on me for that long. So and they have a and- keen sense of smell. You know, I think it was sending a message. It was definitely, you know, letting us know. Animals can use their sense of smell to tell us whether or not we're sick, whether or not we're decaying, whether or not we're rotting. They are attracted to rot. He is a, he is rotting from the inside, isn't he? Or he's rotten from the inside. But, but many people also speculated that he was sick, right? That he was, um, you know, that with the pink eye and, and there's something funny with his lip and he really just looked, you know, really pale. Um, but we have, you know, we have giant rats that just won an award uh, for its ability to detect landmines. Right. So it got a medal. And um, I think it was I forget which country I want to say Finland, but I could be wrong, has the dogs that that can sniff out uh, COVID. We've got um, cats that can smell cancer. We've got dogs that can smell epileptic. They sense, well, they're not smelling necessarily, but they're sensing some change in electrical activity of people just before they have a seizure. Um, You know, and so, and we can smell it, right? There's a, there's a, many people are, have, you know, kind of colloquially joked about like, certain people can smell like they're dying. Mm -hmm. There's a smell or an odor. And, and so we actually were not as powerful as an insect. Right. I mean, I, I, so, or necessarily a certain type of, of dog in terms of the number of receptors that we have in our, our nose to be able to detect smells below a certain threshold, but even pigeons research just came out. Not only can they sense the magnetic field of the earth, but they actually create a chemical map. Um, and this is how they find their way home. 
Hmm. Right. Most of us can't find our way home smelling our way home. And many of us don't want to, (laughs) depending on where you live. So, so. Now, let me ask you a question. You say that Mike Pence, that when he was governor of Indiana, he was against exchange needles, needle exchange. He's, He's a homophobe. First, you say he had pink eye, which suggests something. Don't flies also get attracted to fruits? I mean, I'm just wondering out loud. I see, and I see Senior Buttons looking at me like, shut that oh. man up. Does he, does he want to go outside? Is he? He does. He wants to go outside. We've, we've been negotiating. Um, the patio is enclosed, but there are some feral cats. Is he wearing so white shoes? You know, he just has little white paws. Did you paint um, those on him? Of course I did. I mean, no. come on. he's got to look fashionable. I mean, really? Um, oh, my so, God. Those white. He's got white <laughs> shoes. That's hysterical. But, oh, dear. No. So. Um, so I don't actually know if he had pink eye, but I'm saying there was a lot of discussion about his eye and he just didn't look well. Um, so you asked if if insects or animals can smell fruit. Is that what, well, what you asked? Yeah, I, well, I was making a, a, a joke about. Oh, uh, yes. Well, let's talk about hairy right? caterpillars, which oh, become yeah. butterflies. There's a is this a new type of caterpillar or they've always been around? No, no, no. The puss caterpillar, which is its official name. Pussy caterpillar. Um, <laughs> caterpillar. No, it's it's just puss caterpillar. Okay. <laughs> um, it's really furry, but it's not alone. There are others, um, and so like the the monkey slug is or the hag moth caterpillar. It's also furry. Um, so there's a lot of furry caterpillars, but this it, it's the the reason it's been kind of getting a little bit of attention is because it was seen in Virginia and um, that's a little further north of where it's typically seen. So they're speculating that maybe climate change is causing it to move north. And, you know, so why would, and it's when you rub up against it, if you accidentally rub up against it, I mean, you don't really want to go around petting like small orange furry things that you don't know what they are. Um, Right. So especially if their name is Donald Trump, I was, I was way I was hoping you'd say that. So. <laughs> so, um, yes. So definitely don't go around petting small furry things. They're toxic <laughs> and they're poisonous. Yes. Um, and usually things that are, you know, sort of brightly colored or or sort of uh, flamboyant in that way are usually poisonous. So it won't necessarily kill you, but it's going to hurt a lot. And it's um, it's it, you could get a rash or, you know, you can vomit. There's all kinds of reactions you can have. So you definitely don't want to uh, touch them. But no, it's not new. And uh, really, caterpillars don't have a lot of opportunity to defend themselves. So they come up with these ways. And the adults are quite beautiful, actually. Um, you know, they're furry, too, but they're. They come in a couple of different varieties. There's some yellow ones, some white ones, some black ones. Um, Great. We have some questions. So why don't we take a question from Randall, who I believe is talking to us from Pennsylvania. Hi, Dr. Vertolin. Hey, Captain Feldman. This is Randall in Pennsylvania. Hey. Hi, Randall. Hey. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. So I had a question about diets. You know, the human diet is really varied. There's some... Fruititarians, you've got people on the keto diet, you got 
low carb and uh, just a real lot, a lot of variation. And for the most part, people are fine. You know, they can live on what they choose to eat. Um, are there any examples of this in, in primates? Do, do chimps do this? Are there any primates that within species have such varied diets and, and they do fine with it? Um, that's a really interesting and great question. So there is cultural variation within a species. So uh, orcas are most commonly known for this. So there's there's a couple different kinds of orcas. There's transient orcas, there's offshore orcas, there's resident orcas. And um, among different populations within the same species of, uh, which is orcas, they have, they have different feeding preferences. They have different feeding strategies. Some of that is based on where they live. Um, some of that might be based on, uh, the food available. Uh, and, and so, so the short answer is yes. So within a species, you get variation in diet i would say that historically that's been true for humans and and that's true for lots of species you don't necessarily see um fruit eating lions right like you know vegetarian lions versus meat eating lions um so so there isn't that kind of drastic difference you will see in chimpanzees some populations are really active hunters they they will hunt other primates uh, some you uh, know how to use uh, an anvil to crack certain nuts that are available in their environment. Others know how to fish for fish for term- termites, uh, you know, because where they live, that's where a food source that they've been able to exploit. So, yeah. So, yes and no. I mean, I know what you're saying. You're sort of, you know, are there other species that finally parse out their diets into these different categories? And, and the answer to that is really no, but there is variation in diet. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Randall. And we have to talk. I've been meaning to invite you on to the show to talk about your lobbying efforts in the great state of Pennsylvania. How is Senior Buttons uh, adapting to North Carolina? Is he happier out of the desert? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's not as thirsty. Neither am I. <laughs> right. So uh, he's he's much more energetic. He is finally adjusting to, you know, the different views. So when we were in Arizona, we had the Catalina Mountains. There were bobcat visitors. There were lots of different wildlife. And here we've got two squirrels. Uh, they're very busy right now, stealing nuts from each other, which is kind of How hilarious. How smart are squirrels? It, well, again, squirrels are pretty smart, I think. It depends on what you're asking them to do, right? So they hide nuts and they can remember where they are and retrieve them sort of in the order temporally that they buried them, right? So, and this is true for a lot of uh, animals that cache or store food. Uh, and so, and they know how to eavesdrop on other squirrels and steal their nut. I mean, uh, there was a big brouhaha today because one spent time burying the nut, you know, looking around nervously, didn't want a kleptoparasite to come and take it. And then a few seconds later, after he left, the other squirrel came and dug it up to go dig it, you know, put it somewhere else where he would know where to find it. And then there was a big fight that lasted much longer than the value of the nut, um, sort of to make a point, you know, you don't don't steal my nuts. Let me ask you about chimpanzees. I I was shocked about uh, how little I know about chimpanzees. There was a story in the New York Times earlier this week about 
lab animals who are retired. And the NIH is being accused of malfeasance for not moving them to a retirement home, a sanctuary for retired chimpanzees who were used for experiments. Chimpanzees can live to be 46 and they develop diabetes and heart disease. And I, I hate to admit, you know, I can't believe I didn't know how much of an analog they are to actual humans. And they suffer from depression and they need to be around others. And mm-hmm. um, how long can a chimpanzee live? Um, well, I'm glad we're talking about this. I, I've, I saw that article and this is an issue that's kind of near and dear to my heart. So I don't know that many of the listeners know that I kind of got my start volunteering at a chimpanzee and orangutan sanctuary. That sanctuary is dedicated to um, chimps coming from people's homes and the entertainment industry. So all of the orangutans that you remember from those movies, uh, they're still live. Bubbles, Michael Jackson's chimp, he's 37. Um, he's there. Um, and I think Mitch is the oldest now. He's got to be 50. I think he turned 50. Um, so chimpanzees. Um, How long can they live? How come? Well, in captivity, right, it's going to be a little bit different than in the wild. I think in the wild, the oldest chimp um, was in her 40s. And uh, I think the oldest chimp in captivity, they, they called her grandma. She was at um, Lion Country Safari. I think um, she was in her 60s when she died. Um, and Amazing. so, so yeah. So and they suffer from, from the same diseases we suffer from? Sure. And Heart there, there, disease. There was, a polio, there was a polio outbreak. They get all the, you know, like I have to be, um, I got my MMR, my measles, mumps, rubella booster last year because anytime you work with primates, if you don't have all your vaccinations, then you, they're at risk from all of the diseases. So that would include coronavirus, most likely. Um, and so, of course, wild chimpanzees don't get vaccinated. So there's been polio outbreaks in wild chimpanzee populations. They don't tend to get heart disease in the wild, right? Their, their diet is not, it's usually captive diets that create diabetes, heart disease, but emotionally, of course. Yeah. I mean, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress. I mean, we know dogs get post-traumatic stress. So the fact that a chimpanzee does is, is kind of, you know, um, a natural consequence of just being a mammal with the same brain structures as we do. So, um, you know, the fact that they have been used, so there was a big push by many many people caring about animal welfare saying, okay, when you're done with them, then they deserve, they've served, right? And they deserve to have a saw. And many of them have health issues related. They've been infected with HIV. They, you know, all kinds of things. Um, And there's a few sanctuaries that are capable of taking them. So Chimp Haven is one in also in Florida that, has many ex lab chimpanzees and it's heartbreaking. If you watch the footage, many of them have not been outside. They've never seen the sun. They've never stepped on grass and they, um, they, some of them take a really long time to do that. 
right? They're, they're just too fearful. Many of them are traumatized. They don't know. Um, they haven't been, been kind of then getting them into groups and socializing them. The, 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 the sanctuary that I volunteered with center for great apes, you can always donate items and things they need blankets and toys and, and things like that. Um, you know, when you get an animal that has been used in the entertainment business, their teeth have usually been pulled. Um, often they've been abused. If they've been kept as a pet, <clears throat> there's been some animals kept in a basement for 30 years and they've never seen another chip. So they, uh, they have to be socialized and they might only fit in. And, and there's one special chimp. It was his birthday yesterday. Um, Knuckles, I think he turned 21. He has cerebral palsy. And so occupational therapists, physical therapists, just like for, for human children. Have was he given cerebral palsy or he just. It happened, I think, during the birth. I'm not sure what happened. Um, but but then just like when um, that happens for for people, uh, you, you know, he's had he had a lot of volunteer therapists who worked with him. He's paralyzed on, on one side and he has seizures, but um, and, and night terrors, you know, but um, now who. Can you cuddle with them? Can you show them compa- compassion or? Well, you can show compassion, but not cuddling, <laughs> right? So, so there's no real cuddling with, uh, I think the last person who was unwise enough to try to cuddle with a grown shrimp got her face ripped off. Uh, I mean, there's more to that story in Connecticut for another time, but, right. um, you know, they're, they well, who, so what, what, are different what, how than, do you, than our rules. <laughs> how do you attend to a sick chimp? Do you, you need to do other chimps tend to sick chimps? No. Well, so, yeah, there is that element of, of compassion. But I mean, if they're captive, at least in many of the sanctuaries, you know, we we um, we teach them to show us their chest or turn around, let us listen to their lungs. Um, they give them saline injections kind of regularly. They walk uh, over to the vet office on their own and, you know, kind of like, hey, come see the vet. It's a checkup. And of course, um, you know, if there's something more serious that needs to be done, then they're sedated. Right. But well, we've uh, talked about the importance of human touch. That right. humans need to be touched. Do chimps need to be touched by other chimps? Absolutely. I mean, touching is a huge part of their. Uh, Do they you know, heal each other through touch? Is that something they see in the wild? So that's a really interesting question. Look, they reassure each other and they comfort each other through touch. They hug when they're scared. They do some other things that we might think are a little weird. Um, when two male chimps are scared, they might hold each other's privates and, you know, like that makes them feel better. Um, and, you know, I don't know. We talked about that, I think, once before. And grooming is very soothing and calming. So I'm a chimp. Is You're telling me I'm a chimp. <laughs> Go ahead. I, yeah, I think you're sharing a lot with me in, okay. the, in that. So I'm going to just let it hang there for a minute. Okay. Go ahead. The grooming is important. Sorry, that was low-hanging fruit. Okay. I couldn't help it. Oh. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so grooming is very important. So hugging, touching, right? They communicate through touch. They communicate. Well, what helps? Uh, Knuckles has cerebral palsy. Right. Are there other chimps to comfort 
Knuckles. So, so, okay. So now we're bringing up one of my favorite. Um, so Grubb, he died in 2011, young with cancer. He was 20. He was one of the original um, chimps. He was very special. Um, it's Halloween. And so kind of a tribute to him. Uh, he, there was a volunteer who made a mask for Halloween. And then he learned and wanted to make masks for everybody that he liked, which was usually tall, leggy blondes, including Jane Goodall. So, he loved to make a mask and then give it to you and have you put it on his face and chase him. He thought that was like the best. So there was, his group was really special and Knuckles was in that group and Grubb was very, um, he was very special in that, very tolerant. He seemed to understand that Knuckles didn't know chimp rules properly, right? That he wasn't capable of chimp rules. So one example of this, and, and Grubb was the head of that group. He was like, I'm, I'm big man Grubb. Everybody listens to me. Everybody grooms me. I don't groom anybody. It was pretty lame how he would groom, you know, back. And, and so one day uh, from what I, the story, I wasn't there when it happened, but the story at his, um, you know, chimp funeral was, uh, knuckles and him were playing and knuckles bit him Mm. and like you never bite like the top chimp like that does not happen without severe punishment but grub ran off into the corner looked at knuckles looked at his finger and screamed in front like i can't do anything about this he knew you know it's like a child right Right. i mean if a child does something you know in chimp in chimp community, six wow. and under is considered a child, basically. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. To be continued this Saturday night, October tenth yes. at nine PM, an evening with Dr. Jen. Join us on YouTube or here in the Zoom room when we talk about consciousness and other species, how this pandemic is impacting wildlife, what we can learn from other animals. And what wild animals get up to when they think no one's watching. We'll be taking calls and no topic is off limits. We're going to do this on YouTube starting at 9 o'clock Eastern, October 10th, Saturday night. But we'll be taking our questions from the Zoom room. So if you would like an invitation to sit in the Zoom room and chat with Dr. Jen, go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit the attend a live taping and we'll send you an invite. We've been using Saturday nights to do our benefits and this is a thank you to everybody who has been contributing and helping us move the needle uh, in the direction we wanted to go. So this is just a, a free evening with Dr. Jen and hopefully there'll, there'll be more. It will be, uh, I think it's gonna be a, a tremendous success. For more from Dr. Jen, follow her on Twitter at RealDrJen. Go to JenniferVertolin.com, sign up for her newsletter. Go to her YouTube channel, Wild Connection TV, and buy her two books, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tell Us About Human Relationships, and Raised by Animals, The Surprising New Science of Animal Family Dynamics, with try-at-home lessons from the wild. I will talk to you, Dr. Jen, tomorrow as we prepare our big show for Saturday night. I'm excited. Thank you, you. Dr. Jen. Great job, as always. Thank you.
It's time to talk about Donald John Trump. <coughs> okay. <coughs> yep. <laughs> I don't know who that guy okay. is. I think he's in Iowa or something, and he was about to introduce Donald J. Trump and the COVID got him. Joining us from Texas is sex educator, baby mama, comedian, and candidate for Texas Railroad Commissioner. She got close to 400,000 votes this year. Please welcome Kelly Stone. Did you watch... Did you want, good to see you. Thank you for doing this. You too, yeah. And I'm not a candidate anymore. I, I lost with all those votes. But yeah, just so people aren't confused, I'm not on the November ballot. You should so. be. I should be, yes. Um, but alas. Um, but it was like the first pancake. So. Right. Uh, <laughs> are you going to run again? Uh, yeah, I'm just getting started. Uh, and so I've got different people who are encouraging me uh, for for different offices, but I still have my mindset on on railroad commission. Uh, there's that, because, you know, as you know, but maybe new listeners don't, um, they don't control the railroads, they control oil, gas and pipelines. And uh, Texas is one of the largest economies on the planet in terms of our, our use of oil and gas. And so um, the climate climate crisis, the clim- climate change is real. And and um, we're running out of time. So, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, one of the biggest places that we could could impact. And the Democratic Party actually called it the most important environmental race in the nation for this year, for 2020. So and is there anybody we like running? The last two um, on the ballot are Krista Castaneda, who's our Democratic nominee, and a fellow named James Jim Wright. Um, his mailers are just flat out calling him Jim Wright, not even the nickname. Uh, and he has over 250 um, violations from the Railroad Commission as an oil man. Um, so those those are uh, our two choices that are left uh, on the ballot in November. So uh, Krista uh, has is has been an oil and gas defense attorney. Uh, she she knows the the industry. Um, she is not nearly as left as I am, um, but um, that's that's where we are. The the Democrats fought here in Texas to have the Green Party removed from the ballot. So we did. We had a Green Party um, candidate running for for railroad commissioner as well as for Congress. I think we had three different Green candidates that they successfully fought to get removed from the ballot. So mm. all right, let's talk about Texas politics. All right. (laughs) How hard is Republican Governor Abbott making it for you to vote? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know if this has made national news or not, but um, I I would assume perhaps it has. But news cycles are real crazy. Um, Greg Abbott recently announced that he is only going to allow for one ballot drop box for mail in votes in each county. We have, as Beto made sure that we know, 254, 254 counties in Texas. And so that's from Harris County, which is Houston, Texas, one of the most diverse places in the United States, um, which also includes teeny tiny little counties in the panhandle. Um, They can have one ballot for, or one ballot box, um, as can uh, Harris County, Travis County, which is home to Austin. Uh, Yes, so he is overtly uh, trying to make it difficult to vote 
And you have early voting, though, right? We do have early voting. And that is, um, and I think, to to his credit, which he actually um, was seen as going against the Republican Party in this respect, um, we have three weeks of early voting, which actually starts on Tuesday, October 13th, and it goes until Friday, October 30th. So we do have three weeks of early voting, which is, um, so even if people, you know, um, going early would minimize the likelihood of standing in long lines, being Are you allowed to, to mail in your ballot? Me? <laughs> no, I mean, well, I would assume they don't allow you to vote at all, but right. uh, you, you <laughs> so, can mail in your ballot or drop it off at this one box. Correct. Um, so people can mail in their ballots. And so, but in Texas, it's, it's not as um, comprehensive or open to, to voter. Like it's not just anybody can request a mail-in ballot. Um, you have to be over the age of 65 um, and, or um, absentee, like you're going to be away from um, through all of early voting as well as uh, election day, or you have to be disabled. Um, but interestingly, Texas doesn't have a mechanism to prove if you're disabled or not, there's just a box. They have no way to say no when you request that. And so that disability could be, I'm afraid for my health and safety going to a polling place in a pandemic, which I think is legitimate. Uh, and there's been some different um, back and forth in the, in the courts on that. But uh, mail-in ballots have already been mailed out. So people are already voting. Um, votes are being submitted through the mail. So yes, people can mail, um, and, and, or they could drop them or they could go to an early voting location or they could vote on election day. Those are, those are our choices right now. And how is the COVID outbreak in Texas this week? Um, it's not getting better, right? Um, we're, we're spiking, uh, numbers are in the cases are increasing. And I saw an estimate that even, um, I believe it's the week of October 25th is when it's anticipated that we will see, um, a large spike, um, here where I live in, in Hayes County in San Marcos, Texas, which is in between Austin and San Antonio, um, our, our, secondary school children went back to face-to-face -face, uh, this past Monday. Um, sorry that my child's walking in with my wine that just got favored here. Your child buys you wine? No, uh, <laughs> I buy uh, it for uh, myself. But do, do we have a, a Kellyanne Conway situation here? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, on no level should I be compared to Kellyanne Conway, even though my name is Kellyanne Stone. Uh -huh. uh <laughs> Would you say the F word? I, I noticed on the TikTok that Kellyanne screamed at, I think the daughter's, well, we shouldn't, she's underage, screamed the F word. You're like, you brought up effing and she said the word COVID. Did that surprise you that somebody like Kellyanne Conway would use the F word around her 15 year old? No, I mean, I use, <laughs> I've used the F word around mine right. the whole time, but I guess I'm, you know, a, a little more liberal, but um, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, especially like anyone that has worked in the Trump administration or is connected is very, you know, do as, do as we do. Um, what is it? The don't I'm do like, as we do, do as we say. But do as I say. But don't, don't say do, as yeah. we say. Do as we say you should do. But don't Just, say what we do. Yeah, and also don't challenge us on anything we say. Right. Um, and 
I mean, she's the gal that coined alternative facts, right? right? That's that's what we heard right after the inauguration. So, um, and wasn't the TikTok, her daughter was calling her out for lying about um, her testing? Yeah, and she's on the bed with her daughter, not wearing a mask. She's tested positive for COVID. Why are you around your kid with COVID without a mask? Jesus, it's like, Child Protective Services, somebody. There are bad people in this world. Kellyanne Conway is a bad person, just bad, spoiled. I mean, these are bad people. So let's talk about uh, other bad people. John Cornyn is running against MJ Heger. Is that her name? Hagar, MJ Hagar. Um, yeah, and she's a, a veteran. Uh, she she was shot down uh, or hit while she was a helicopter pilot, and then she actually strapped herself to the outside of the helicopter to return fire as they uh, got out of there. So it's a it's a really interesting story. Um, she she ran for a different office in 2018 and became kind of internet famous from a video that she had over three million views, and um, so it was a really interesting video which I appreciate it's it's long form because now it seems like her advertising is really just like I'm a hip motorcycle riding gal and I'm a veteran and that's like the whole focus um nothing on policy nothing on changes um although we're not hearing that from Cornyn either we're not hearing about changes or, or policy from him but um her first video showed that she actually even fought um for equality in the military for for women um and so she she's done a lot of um battles uh quite literally uh in the military as well as through um our our systemic approach uh that we have so um she she's really exciting. There's a lot of support behind her. And um, and I think she can do it if um, if people show up and and we've had record breaking numbers of people registering to vote in Texas. Uh, I'm I'm really excited that I, I do believe that Texas is in play um, and, and I'm hopeful that Texas is in play and we can actually we can turn it blue. Pete Sessions. Is he in trouble? He's a guy that I don't know a lot about. I feel ignorant now. Okay. Um, I know Pete Sessions. Yeah, is he, he's Texas? Yeah, I think. Uh, Texas 30-something. Oh. I, I heard he might. Do you know who's running against him? Colin Allred. So these are not names that I know. Well, Texas 30. is a big, yeah. Texas is big, right? <laughs> Sure is. 254 counties. Um, yeah, I know. Like, Julie Oliver uh, is running to unseat uh, Roger Williams. And um, and then and Mike Siegel is running to unseat Mike McCall. And uh, they're having some really exciting campaigns. Uh, Julie Oliver is actually going to be on my show tomorrow. Oh, that's exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. She's She is so fantastic. I just happened to see her speak in a really small meeting um, the day after um, RBG passed. And um, she was so compassionate and just every her. She was wearing these glasses that were very cartoonish. Um, and so it was, it was real sweet, but her eyes were welled up with tears, but she was like, um, 
let's take this moment and then, but let's fight. And that's what she wants us to do. And uh, Julie Oliver has had a sick child. He, he's been sick for, for most of his life. And so um, what compelled her and she came from healthcare finance um, is really fighting uh, for Medicare for all. And, um, and Mike Siegel is the same thing. And they both, they do support a green new deal. Um, they're very, you know, um, they're some of our most liberal candidates that we have right now. And um, Kim Davis is running. Um, Kim Davis. Not is, Kim is Davis. It, who, who was the she one? She's out of Kentucky, with the, right? The, yeah, that was a clerk. <laughs> Who's the woman with the sneakers who ran for governor? Wendy Davis. Win, Wendy, Wendy Davis. Davis. Yeah. Yes, and she actually just debated Chip Roy um, two nights ago. There was a live debate, um, and so she's she's running to unseat Chip Roy, and she um, she keeps they're basically a virtual tie in the polls right now, and and sometimes she's up, a, you know, it's basically one or two points difference either way every time the polls come out. So um, Wendy Davis, she she did so well, I thought, um, and he he a hundred percent was I'm. A blue lives matter guy uh you know he was given this whole thing and then he was using all this xenophobic language talking about um villainizing immigrants and asylum seekers and and whatnot it was pretty disgusting um actually to listen to to his rhetoric and so um i thought wendy did a fantastic job in her debate with him this week the people of texas are different from the rest of us <laughs> they they come by their Republican values somewhat honestly, not all of them, but a lot of Texas Republicans have some core beliefs, but they believe, you know, they believe in character. They believe in honesty. They believe in taking care of others. They believe in small government, but, you know, things that I may not ag agree with, but they do believe this. They come by it. Honestly, I don't see I don't see Texas Republicans voting for Trump this time around. I think they're removed enough from the insanity in Washington, D.C., where they can look at Trump and say. Mm, he's not he's not he's not a Republican. That's optimistic because um. <laughs> I've met some conservatives from Texas and I mean, obviously, there are some horrible conservatives from Texas, but there there's some honest ones. Well, you got to think too. Alex Jones, Texas is home to Alex Jones, um, and he's got a following. And we have, I mean, right here in the small town where I live, we have a Proud Boys chapter, we have a Patriot Front chapter, um, and and the the university that I have here has been at Texas State University uh, here here where I live. Thirty nine thousand students um, was targeted more with white nationalists and racist attacks immediately following uh, the twenty sixteen election we even there was a large banner that was flown over our um library that said america is a white nation and um so there is a lot of 
there's been some things open from the seams that obviously was there. Trump didn't invent it. He didn't create it, but he fostered and fueled it and is fanning that. And so there are, we've had these Trump trains going through town. Um, I don't know if these are happening in other places across the country. I'm going to assume they are, um, but with Confederate flags and Yahoo. These are Trump trains? They're calling them Trump trains and they schedule like every Wednesday and they go through the middle. Unlike of Mussolini's trains, I guarantee you these don't run on time. Ooh. Yeah. And we also had I mean, did you hear about these boat races that were taking place? <laughs> they here? sunk. I mean, races. They were not races. They sunk boats because right. um, they were like, pew, pew, rules right. don't apply to me. Right. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, um, I do think Texas is in play, but I think that there is a very loud vocal minority um, that has permeated through texas you know um it's not like there's a special place where uh, th- that you can pee in the pool right um it's there's pee in our pool right. <laughs> and um so i i'm I, i'm hoping that with all of our new voters that's what i'm really hopeful is that we've got all these young newly registered voters and that that's what's really gonna turn out in texas and that we are still gonna have the same old good old boys um that are that they're QAnon. They support um, the Trump train, and and that's just it's disgusting. But it is what it is. I watch this guy. I mean, at least Nancy Pelosi has called for a commission on the Twenty Fifth Amendment. You you watch this man, and I'm using that term loosely, <sighs> saying he's cured of COVID and the the cocktail he's on should be free to everybody and that that last twitter speech that he gave it is the end of civilization he is the end of civilization then again so was george w bush the word smart is a trigger word to him. We learned that from the last debate, right? Who did you say to me? Smart? Don't, don't, don't use that. We have a president who is triggered by the word smart. So that's, that's where we are. And the night before the election in 2016, I did, I made my boys watch idiocracy because I was like, this was quite prophetic. Yeah. Kelly Stone is a baby mama, a sex educator, a comedian, and a politician, and we're <laughs> going to hear more from you next year when you announce where you're running for office. And you have a big Zoom party Friday nights <laughs> at 9 p.m. Eastern. Tell us about that. Oh, it's called Kelly Stone's Corona Comedy with Candidates Crap Show. And um, I always have a musical guest, a comedian, and I interview two candidates in much like this in a casual um, setting uh, because candidates are really um, in these these uh, very stressful forums. It's kind of the only way that the public gets to hear from them. And so um, it's a private Zoom room, but anybody's welcome. But you do have to be in the Zoom room. We do not live broadcast it. Okay. So And it's a free show. Great. And how do people contact you? So um, I'm on Twitter at at Team Kstone 2020. Uh, That's still my campaign Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook and uh, as at Funny Kelly. And um, if you look for crap show on Facebook, you should be able to to find the event uh, that does require pre-registration. All right. When we come back, Henry Huckamaki joins us for Henry asks. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
hands I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines I'm blending in, not causing a fuss When it comes to politics, I never discuss I'm an island of blue in an ocean of red Four more years, I might be better off dead Signs. I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines. Gotta get behind Joe, it's the way to go. Gonna give the Democrats all my dough. I got my ballot, I'm ready to vote. If the other guy wins, I hope he don't glow. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. Joining us is Henry Huckamacki. Hello there, Henry Huckamacki. 
Hello, Stop. David. It's let me put your video on. Can you start your video? Before there we, we go. Before we meet your guest, I wanted to ask you about President Trump claiming that he's been cured with a cocktail that derives its derives itself from fetal cells, apparently. Something his supporters wouldn't approve of, would they? Yeah, probably. I mean, there's definitely a fair portion of them that wouldn't approve of that. But I think that that's still the minority. It's a loud minority, but I'm fairly sure that it's a a minority even within his base of supporters. And is he cured? So there's there's good news and and bad news from his perspective. Um, The good news would be that it appears that he has antibodies within his system from the uh, monoclonal antibody treatment that he got, Regeneron. Um, Regeneron is the the company's name, but so those um, wouldn't be his antibodies, or that was no those those would be antibodies injected into him that were selected to be specific for certain epitopes of the um, SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus. And as we've described previously, an epitope is just a very specific binding site within a specific place on the virus. And does his body then get tricked into producing more of those antibodies or he has to keep taking this treatment? So it doesn't promote his own body producing uh, antibodies. The way for your body to produce antibodies would be for your um, B cells to become exposed to an antigen from the virus and a very specific B cells. So we've talked before about how the adaptive immune system works, a very specific B cell, one that was pre-programmed to recognize a certain uh, antigen, basically a signature from a specific pathogen. Once that comes across that antigen, because it's presented by an antigen presenting cell, then that B cell can start pumping out antibodies. Having antibodies put into you doesn't pre-program you to produce your own antibodies. The only antibodies in his body, um, once they gave him the injection of monoclonal antibodies, would be the ones from the injection. But around this point uh, in the infection phase, so we're about one week, I think we're exactly one week out since his positive diagnosis. This is about the time where his adaptive immune system would be kicking in anyway, and he'd be producing his own antibodies. I see. Okay. Thank you, Henry. It's time yeah. now for Henry Asks. Who do you have for us today, Henry? That's right. I've got a very special guest today. We have Judd Legum, uh, a journalist, lawyer, founder of Think Progress and the founder of um, his own newsletter, uh, popular.info. It's a daily newsletter. Everybody should check it out and subscribe to it to get it in their their uh, email every day. But the reason why I brought on Judd is because he had an, an article come out a couple of days ago that was really interesting from the perspective of misinformation, especially regarding COVID and the lead up to the election. So we've known for some time that Facebook basically is a breeding ground for right-wing propaganda news sources to kind of filter back and forth amongst people, and, and they really get promoted heavily on there. But recently, Facebook has taken a stance against COVID misinformation. They claim that they were going to be removing any COVID-related mis- misinformation, but we found out relatively recently, I believe, Judd, your piece came out either Monday or Tuesday, um, that that wasn't necessarily being 
universally applied. So um, would you like to talk about what Facebook was saying about, you know, having no COVID propag- uh, misinformation kind of propaganda on their, on their news site? And then what was this Breitbart piece that was on, on Facebook that was not taken down? Well, the, the overall policy... You're, you're a little bit quiet. I'm having problems hearing you. Oh. Can you hear me now? It's a little bit better, but it's, it's pretty quiet still. Um, yeah, I, I don't hear anything right now. Well, I'll filibuster um, while, <laughs> while we get this taken care of. So um, what I was saying with Judd was that uh, in my introduction of Judd is that on Facebook, we've been seeing the, this perpetuation of these right-wing news sources. And one of the ways that we've been able to see this is for the last couple of months, every once in a while, I'll look at what the most shared news sources or most shared links within Facebook are on any given day. And if you look at what those news sources are, it's really surprising. You know, you'd expect there to be news sources from a wide array of um, across the ideological spectrum and particularly from mainstream media. But what you actually end up seeing is uh, most days, if you look at the top 10 links that are shared, you'll see Fox News, Fox News, Fox News, Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, Breitbart, Fox News, Ben Shapiro, Daily Wire. And that's your top 10 for the day. So um, that was what I was talking about when I was saying that the what you see on Facebook a lot of the time is this, this perpetuation of right-wing narratives via links that are being shared around. Jen, let's try uh, your sound now. How, how's this? Is this any better? Yeah, it's better for me. Okay, great. So what was this Breitbart piece that was on Facebook and how does it relate to misinformation regarding COVID? Uh, well, Overall, the policy on Facebook that they announced... Your sound is cutting out again. I, I'm not sure what's going on here. Okay, let me try to, let me try to log out of it and I can join back in with my phone. As the okay. David, you, you yeah. have yourself muted. Right, there you okay. Go. While we're waiting for Judd to rejoin us, let's continue the conversation about the president's prognosis. What do we have to look forward to in the next week? So under a lot of circumstances, when we see individuals that have COVID really take a turn for the worse, we a lot of times see the turn for the worse take uh, place within the second week. Now, I want to reiterate that even given his comorbidities, both his age and his obesity, the odds are still firmly within his favor. I mean, he has well, well better than 50-50 odds of surviving COVID, even if he wasn't receiving the best care in the world, just based on the group, the cohort of individuals that he would be in, 74 years old and obese, he'd still have significantly better than 50-50 odds under any uh, care provisions. If you also take into account the fact that he's got absolutely the best Healthcare that anyone in the world could possibly have, as well as multiple treatments that are either prohibitive, prohibitively expensive to the average person or uh, are experimental in the case of Regeneron's monoclonal antibody cocktail. You know, he's getting all of the benefits that 
nobody else would really be able to um, reap. And so even without those, he would have fairly good odds still of pulling through. I think Judd is back in. Yeah. Judd, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Your sound is perfect now. Your sound is perfect. Perfect. All right. We won't have any video, though. That's okay. okay. That's okay. All right. So this this Breitbart piece that was on on Facebook and the misinformation of around COVID, how how do these two things relate? Well, Facebook has a policy. They announced it really towards the beginning of the pandemic that says any misinformation about COVID that could lead to imminent harm, they're going to remove. And that differs from their fact check policies and a lot of other policies they have where you know, they'll put a notice on it or they'll downrank it or they won't let uh, as many people see it. This is like a total removal. So that was the policy. And what's been happening since that was announced, though, is they've taken an extraordinarily narrow interpretation of what's imminent harm. So this Breitbart article that came out uh, over the weekend, last weekend, um, the, the whole thrust of the article was Tom Tillis, uh, senator from North Carolina, uh, attended the White House uh, ceremony for Donald Trump's uh, Supreme Court nominee and wore a mask and still got COVID. So it, it's along a thread of, of what we've seen um for many months now of of really trying to cast doubt on masks and do they even work? And is this something that people should be bothering with? And so after they talked about how he wore the mask, it was just a lot of, you know, um, misinformation, raising questions about um, the efficacy of masks. So even if this were all true, it was a fairly silly article because no one's claiming that masks are 100% um, effective. Um, But at the same time, um, it, it was worse than that because uh, the reality was uh, he was not wearing a mask. Tom Tillis wasn't wearing a mask, and actually he was not wearing a mask at the exact wrong point, which was when he was inside. So the whole premise of the article uh, was false. Uh, it eventually got um, rated false by one of their fact checkers, but it, Regardless, this is the kind of information that when people read it, if they read it and they decide, well, they're not going to bother wearing a mask uh, because Tom Tillis got coronavirus anyway, that can put people in danger, either the person who's making that decision or someone three or four um, people down the chain as, as COVID gets passed from one person to the other. Um, but, but Facebook says this kind of article um, doesn't violate uh, their policy. So, uh, it was left up. Um, it eventually was, was corrected, or at least the, the idea that, um, Tom Tills wearing the mask was corrected as a result of this, this fact check, but the whole rest of the article, which made other claims like there isn't a consensus around, uh, mask wearing and its efficacy, all of that remained, remained exactly the same. Uh, even though the whole thrust of the article was was pretty much uh, done at that point. Right. So just to throw in a little bit of context for the listeners, I've mentioned it before, but just in case anyone's forgotten, there was a meta-analysis that came out 
couple months ago at this point that showed that if you yourself are wearing a mask and you're around someone that has COVID, your likelihood of being infected by that person are reduced by 64%. And if you are the person that has COVID and you're wearing a mask, your likelihood of spreading the virus to somebody else are reduced by 82%. And of course, then if you take those two things in conjunction of both the infected person and the uninfected person that would be exposed are both wearing masks, you have a massive reduction in spread. And we've known this for months. So again, we're talking to Judd Legum, the uh, journalist and lawyer, founder of Think Progress and the writer of popular.info, the daily newsletter that uh, everybody should be subscribing to. You can find it at popular.info. Uh, the piece that we're talking about, Judd, is, is your piece that came out, like I said, either Monday or Tuesday. It's called Facebook Gives Breitbart a Pass for COVID Misinformation. And as you said, that Facebook took a stance uh, against COVID misinformation and against things that would harm people. And while they would claim that this article, you know, claiming that Tom Tillis got infected despite wearing a mask, even though it wasn't, he wasn't wearing a mask at the most critical point of that meeting, um, that somehow wasn't deemed at least initially as something that would be leading to harm because they would be able to claim that that wasn't, you know, it was just a news article. It wasn't like advocating for anything, even though it definitely had an ideological bent to it. So I'm wondering uh, if you can talk to the audience about what trusted news status is uh, on Facebook and, and how Breitbart works into that status. Yeah. Um, well, Facebook uh, to, to some fanfare uh, late last year uh, announced uh, the creation of a, of a Facebook news tab, which will basically be a dedicated place where you wouldn't see, uh, and some of, some of your listeners might have access to it. I, I think it's mostly rolled out um, in the United States and other places in the world, basically a dedicated place where there's no updates from your friends or family or things like that, but there's just uh, posts from news sources. And what Facebook said is, and this was part of their, actually their response to all the misinformation that's been spread on the network is these are going to be trusted sources. We're not just going to let any um, news sources be in there. We're going to have our trusted news sources in there. Um, some of the um, uh, publications that are going to be featured there are going to be paid, but regardless, it's a valuable thing to be included because it potentially could get you a lot more um, exposure uh, to your to your news site, or at least some additional exposure. So, um, Breitbart was actually included among that list. So, uh, you know, in Facebook's view, uh, Breitbart uh, is a trusted news source. So it actually adds to um, the issue of this, is which is that Facebook is not only tolerating this kind of um, misinformation uh, on, their, on their network, uh, but actually, in the case of Breitbart, they're, they're validating it uh, as a source and communicating through its inclusion in the in the Facebook news uh, tab uh, that it's one, you know, that it's a source that people should, should rely on and trust. Yeah. So just to 
put out what that means to the listeners. What Judd is saying here is that Breitbart has the same classification as news sources like CNN, PBS, NPR, uh, CBS News, all of these news sources that, you know, some of them might have a, an ideological bent one way or the other, but they, they are relatively trusted news sources. The material that they put out is based on some sort of fact for the most part. Breitbart was given the same classification as these other news sources. And, and therefore, when people perhaps that don't know the background of Breitbart or the, the current work that they're doing for that matter, they're going to see that they're going to see that. Um, that article that comes out, they're going to see that it's from a trusted news source of the same category as NPR. And a lot of those people are going to be tricked into believing what the article is saying, either if it's explicit or if it's implied, like this article was. Now, Judd, one of the things that really struck me in your article was that Facebook has this, well, let's just say a strike system. You know, here you had a bad article come out full of misinformation. Here's a strike for you. But if we have further strikes for you, you know, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to lose some sort of status. You're going to have your account suspended, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have some sort of ramification because of, you know, you've broken the rules that we have set multiple times. But this isn't exactly the case with Breitbart, even though Facebook initially said that it was. Can you talk about what that's all about? Judd, are you there? I think he has to. So now I got muted, but now oh, I'm back. Sorry. Now I'm back. Um, so the, the issue here is that there is a strike system. Uh, and usually what it relates is Facebook has partnerships with a bunch of different sites that do fact-checking, PolitiFact, the Associated Press. There's about a there's about 10 that focus on U.S. content and 60 worldwide. And so if you get a negative rating um, from one of these fact-checkers, that counts against you. And the point in the, the purpose is that you should have um, uh, that, that it, that, there should be some penalties if you're pushing misinformation on a consistent basis. Anyone can make a mistake, but if it becomes a pattern, they're going to do some sort of enforcement. This became an issue with Breitbart um, earlier in the summer because they posted a video um, of a group of doctors who were claiming uh, that uh, hydroxychloroquine was a cure for COVID. And Breitbart posted it, and it became extraordinarily viral. I mean, it was getting millions of views in, in hours. It was the, the top post on all of Facebook. Um, and of course that was dangerous misinformation. And then they actually eventually applied their policy against COVID misinformation to that Breitbart video. And they did take it down in that case. Um, but staff were a lot of the staff were upset that it was up. Facebook staff were upset that it was up as long as it was. And it got to so many people. And one of the questions, um, this was reported in Buzzfeed, um, over the summer was one of the questions that Zuckerberg was asked was how can Breitbart be part of our Facebook news tab that's supposed to be for trusted sources if they are responsible for this extremely dangerous piece of misinformation that's spreading all over our network. And what Zuckerberg said 
reportedly at the time was, well, the policy is if you have two strikes within 90 days, then you lose your Facebook news status. So they haven't had another previous strike within the last 90 days. Therefore, we're just applying the rules, et cetera, et cetera. So here we are. uh, And the piece came out Tuesday, about 70 days since that incident. And they did get another strike for this article because it was ruled that it was false information. Um, but what Facebook told me was that it doesn't count as a strike because after they received this rating, they did update the article. And so therefore it doesn't count as a strike. Um, the, the thing about that is one, it had already been shared many thousands of times prior to that, uh, rating be, prior to the correction being made. And secondly, it, it really doesn't put the publication in a position to be incentivized to publish accurate information because all you have to do is just publish whatever you want. And then if you get unlucky and someone calls you on what you're trying to do, then you just change it up and, and move on with your day. So, um, the speed in which these kinds of things spread on the network and the speed in which these fact checks occur don't really match up. But in any event, the whole system is just set up that uh, unfortunately it it doesn't really stop the spread of um, misinformation about the coronavirus during the pandemic. And that's why we've seen um, despite a lot of, of effort and talk and policies, you know, really from the beginning to, to right now, there's a lot of misinformation that are on Facebook. And if you look at, you know, the behaviors of, of people in, in the U S and the fact that a lot of people aren't wearing masks and um, a lot of the misconceptions that people have about the virus, you look at Facebook as a major source of information for millions of Americans. You have to think that uh, to some extent, these things are connected. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you said, one of the things to keep in mind is that face, while Facebook is allowing for uh, corrections to take place to basically negate the strikes, which, yeah, of course, news sources, when they release stories once in a while, get things wrong and will have to issue corrections. But the, the thing to keep in mind here is that in Breitbart's case, these corrections that are having to be made aren't being made in good faith, they're being made because they got caught for doing something that they originally wanted to do. And by the time that correction is made, the vast majority of the people that have, that are, that would have seen the article have already seen it. And they got all of the false information that they were being fed originally. And then the company never ends up getting a strike for that misinformation that they gave to the majority of the people that read that article because they had gotten it before the corrections were made. So it's really astounding that this is allowed to happen. And, um, you know, for your article was really great. Um, Everybody should check it out. Facebook gives Breitbart a pass for COVID misinformation on popular information. Um, But I want to move on to a different topic that's related um, because you mentioned hydroxychloroquine and you just had a piece come out yesterday on, on your newsletter about uh, the history of Trump pushing hydroxychloroquine. Did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is a a topic that I've been following for um, some time, but really, you know, starting in March, uh, Trump 
repeatedly. And I put a number of examples in my newsletter. I probably could have had three or four times as many of examples if I wanted to, to really bore people. But um, Trump has really repeatedly touted hydroxychloroquine um, as not only as a treatment for um, COVID, but as a cure. Uh, and he encouraged people to take it. He even took it himself uh, when he didn't have COVID uh, as, a, as some sort of pro- prophylactic. Um, but even more significantly, um, he really flooded uh, the veterans um, administration with millions of, of, of pills. And uh, the, the, the issue here is that uh, when, when Trump eventually tested positive, uh, about, I guess about a week ago now, uh, he was put on a whole host of, of medications, this experimental, uh, antibody cocktail, uh, and, a steroid, all sorts of things, which have science behind it. Uh, but he did not take, uh, what he's been recommending everyone else take, uh, which is, hydroxychloroquine. And, and the reason really is that, um, and his doctors probably told him this, uh, and he listened when it w- with regards to his own health, is that study after study shows that it is not an effective treatment. It, it doesn't help at all. And in fact, some of the studies show, show that for certain people, it can be, it can be quite dangerous. So um, it was really, it was a revealing moment because it, it kind of showed that when it was came time to take his own advice, um, he ignored it and, and went with the doctors. Yeah. And, um, just, you know, for your information, as well as any of your fans that end up uh, listening to this interview, I'm an immunobiology researcher. So, um, I'm fairly well versed in this field and, and I, everything that you said was absolutely correct. That hydroxychloroquine it was being touted early on because there was basically one study that came out, a very small study that showed that there might be some benefit to it. There was no real mechanistic reason why they thought that it would work, but there was a really small study that showed that there might be mild benefit to it. Since then, study after study has come out looking at using it alone, using it with azithromycin and zinc, using it early on in the disease process, late on in the disease process, old people, young people, obese people, skinny people. And and these large-scale studies, these meta-analyses, found that there was almost no benefit whatsoever in basically any cohort of people. And as you mentioned, there are side effects associated with hydroxychloroquine. Um, not quite as, as common as some people might have believed, but yeah, there definitely are side effects associated with hydroxychloroquine and we're not seeing really any benefit for any COVID patients for taking hydroxychloroquine. So while Trump was touting it for months and months as a cure, as you mentioned, there was really not any science other than this one initial study that was a really small scale early on that showed that there might have been some benefit to it. There was no science backing that up. And that's different than what's happening now where he's, he's claiming that his Regeneron treatment is a cure. Um, dexamethasone, the, the steroid that you mentioned, um, we know that in severe patients, and I've talked many times on this show before about how that works in, in terms of damping down the innate immune response during the hyperinflammatory stage of the disease. Um, we, we know how those work 
we know why they work and we have at least preliminary results in the case of Regeneron and fairly large scale results in the, the case of hydro, uh, sorry, dexamethasone showing that they are effective at least in certain cases. But there was no data like that on hydroxychloroquine. And on a lighter hearted note, um, I also do want to main, uh, mention that there was another potential treatment that Trump had touted that uh, he didn't take, which was, you know, using uh, injections of, of disinfectants or the heat or the light. So um, let's take what he says with a grain of salt in regards to effective treatments coming out of drug companies these days, because he has a, a long and until fairly recently record of touting things that have very little science behind them. So uh, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to mention on, on uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, I just saw your study or your, your article come out yesterday and I was going through it. And again, you have a fairly extensive um, recap though, not, you know, necessarily all encompassing because he has been talking about hydroxychloroquine for months and months, but you do have a pretty good look at all of the, all of the times that he was talking about it. And I I don't know, is there anything else that you want to mention? I think think the only other point that I think is important is that, uh, you know, it's one thing just to kind of stand up at the, at the white house and say, Oh, this is effective. I think this is really going to work. And the people who don't think it's going to work are just against me politically. But, they put um, many, you know, they put many people who are in the Veterans Administration. It was the last number I saw that I think they released was like 1,300, but that was in April. So I think there's there's been at least a number since then. And, and they use this to treat veterans uh, for uh, who, who were infected with COVID. And so... The the fact that for some reason ideologically Trump has decided to to lock you know to tout this drug, um, you have to wonder if if people are really getting uh, the treatment, especially veterans. Uh, and there there isn't we don't have access to the data of who got treated with what and what their outcomes were. And obviously, there's privacy reasons and things like that. Certainly, you could probably look at the aggregate data. Um, uh, but that is not out there. But I think that that's a big question is how many veterans were treated with this um, when we now know it, it really wasn't effective and were they given this in, instead of some something else that might have worked better or at least might not have uh, had side effects or, or whatever. Um, and, and I think that's something um, that, it's hard to say what constitutes a major scandal in, in this administration now, but that's something that, um, you know, that I've, I've certainly been tracking. And I, I think that it's, it seems to indicate, it seems to be indicated that they've slowed down. They finally sort of slowed down the use of hydroxychloroquine in the veterans administration, but they haven't definitively said that they're not using it anymore. Yeah. And that's an important point to make because, Early on, as I said, there was some indication that there might have been some benefit. Once more studies came out, it, it was pretty evident that there wasn't to hydroxychloroquine. And one of the interesting points is that hydroxychloroquine, even despite only having positive um, signs from this one small study, 
were it was it started to be used really widespread both in the united states as well as abroad and a lot of that was due to basically political pressure um you know you had some political leaders that were really pushing this as a potential therapy and you know they would have really put up a stink if it wasn't at least looked into and again it was based all of the science was based off of one small study but the political pressure caused it to be really widespread in use. And after a month or two, there was a, a, a big trial in the UK called the recovery trial where they, it was basically just meta analysis. They had uh, a bunch of different hospitals giving people different treatments. This is relatively early on in the pandemic and then determining what the results of those treatments were and then trying to optimize you know, the amounts of, of the treatments that they were giving to people, see what phase of the disease they would give it to people. And they just cut using hydroxychloroquine pretty early because it was, it was fairly obvious that the hydroxychloroquine wasn't doing anything for people in a positive sense. And so in the UK, at least this recovery trial found out pretty early on that uh, hydroxychloroquine wasn't effective and they cut using it in all of the UK hospitals. But it, as you just said, hydroxychloroquine's usage within the the veterans administration went far, far beyond that, far beyond when we knew that there was no real benefits to it. So it's really an interesting point of how much of an effect political pressure can have, even on the scientific and, and healthcare community, where you would generally want political pressure to be completely free you know, you want you you want your medical professionals to be able to do what's best for the patient, not what political leaders are pushing for. But yeah, since uh, I think that we covered that article pretty well, and again, people, this is um, Judd Legum, the the writer of the newsletter Popular Info. Check it out. You can find the that last piece on hydroxychloroquine. It was released yesterday. But uh, Judd, I, I was just wondering if we could keep you for just a, a bit longer and ask you about the debate yesterday. It was kind of, um, you know, it, it's on everybody's mind today because anytime there's a presidential or vice presidential debate, everybody's going to be thinking about it for a few days. Um, if I may, what did you think of the debate? And do you think that anybody was really swayed either way that wasn't originally in the camp of either the Trump the Trump campaign or the Biden campaign? Well, I think overall there's very few undecided voters in, in this election. And, th- and that's one thing that's, that's a little bit different than in 2016, where there was a fair number, at least a, at least a slightly larger number than there are now uh, of people who are undecided. So it's unclear what even the possible universe of people who might've been swayed one way or the other. But I think, um, you know, especially compared to the first presidential debate, it was a much more normal debate. There were some contentious moments, uh, but nothing, nothing really out of the ordinary. Uh, I actually think that both, you know, Harris, I think is a better debater than, than Biden. And I think Pence is better than, than Trump. So I think it was actually the two stronger debaters um, on, on the ticket. Um, but I, I think part of the problem is I think Pence has is it just has a lot to explain, you know, for especially what's happened um, in 2020. And it's it's almost, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a hard line uh, to push. I, I think he has a you know, he's a former radio guy. I think he has a much smoother 
uh, demeanor and it, it sounds uh, more credible uh, when he says it, but uh, you know, he, he really had to kind of um, skip over, I would say a lot of important information in order to, uh, to make it sound palatable. Yeah. So it, this is a, another opinion question on the debate. Do you think that, as you said, uh, Pence was having to be held to account for the, the sins of the administration. And another thing that a lot of people are forgetting is that he is the head of the coronavirus task force. So when we're looking at who should be shouldering blame for the coronavirus response or lack thereof in the United States, there is a lot of ways to look. There's a, there's a lot of places to to level blame at how poorly this country has responded to the COVID pandemic. But as the, the head of the coronavirus task force, you'd have to say that a fair amount of the blame should fall on his shoulders. Do you think that Kamala did a, an effective job of holding into account for those sorts of things as well as others? Or do you think that he was able to kind of duck out of the way and, and uh, obfuscate the positions, change topics enough that, any of the, the few handful of undecided voters, as you mentioned, it's a very small group at this point, but do you think that any of those undecided voters were fooled by, by Pence's shifting and, and twisting of uh, the topic? Or, or do you think that Kamala really hit him on, on those uh, topics and, and held him to account? I think it was, it was mixed. I think she, she was strong uh, at points in, in that section of the debate. I think she really tried to connect with people on a, on a human level. I think that was one of the times when she looked straight into the camera and talked to the people who, you know, might've lost a, a loved one or are struggling in other ways, lost their job um, because of the virus and, and talked about how it was because of the incompetence of the administration. I thought that was a strong moment. I do think she let him get away with some things too. For example, he claimed that the, entire Rose Garden event for the Supreme Court was all outside and therefore was okay when, you know, as we were talking about before, part of it was a good part of good section of it was inside. Um, And, you know, so I think, I think there's always, there's always ways to uh, improve. The one thing that Pence did that I don't think is effective. And I heard Trump talking about it today as well is this comparison between the H1N1 uh, uh, swine flu and and this pandemic uh, and claiming that the swine flu was actually handled worse. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an argument that I can't see anyone connecting with because if you live through both, you know that, that this one is much worse. So uh, it, I just think that's a very difficult argument to make, but they seem to be um, you know, pretty committed to it and then kind of extrapolating out, well, if the death rate were the same and et cetera, et cetera, it would have been this many million people. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone's getting sold, um, getting sold on that. Yeah, it's a, a, an interesting point that you made about the swine flu um I was pretty young when swine flu went around, but I, I certainly remember uh, everybody being really worried and there was all kinds of apocalyptic type stories coming out about uh, what's going to happen in regards to swine flu. And what, I mean, it was, it was a bad uh, flu season that year. Certainly uh, it was um, 
and the response against it was not perfect. That's absolutely true. But the swine flu uh, pandemic was absolutely nowhere near what we were, what we are experiencing with COVID either globally or specifically in the case of the U S and the response to it. So could you speak a little? Uh, I mean, to... you're absolutely right. I don't know how many people are going to be swayed by that talking point because everybody was worried about it really before it hit. But after it went by, everybody, I mean, at least in my circle, and again, I was relatively young at the time, but it was like, oh, well, that, that's it. You know, yeah, it was bad, but we were really being sold on it being much, much worse than it eventually ended up being. Could you two speak to how... Harris should have brought up the fight against Ebola, the job that Ron Klain did. Yeah, I can I can bring that up uh, briefly, David, and then I'll, I'll pitch it over to Judd. So the Ebola response was basically an unqualified success. So the outbreak in West Africa really did kind of spiral out of control early on. And that's a lot due to the situation that was on the ground at the time. We have to keep in mind that the, the places that were being affected by Ebola during 2014, 2015 did not have the same kind of medical infrastructure as well as infrastructure more generally than we have in the United States. Um, and so it did spiral out of control early on. But once the international community really started to get involved, and as you, as you mentioned, Ron Klain was the Ebola czar under the Obama administration, and now he's one of the senior advisors to Joe Biden. Ron Klain was tasked with heading up that response. And the response took a really difficult situation where you had an absolute lack of medical infrastructure. Um, we had an Ebola vaccine that was being trialed, but nothing that had been, you know, passed through your, your typical trials and, and successfully used in the past. And this was an outbreak that was many orders of magnitude larger than we had ever seen before. And they were able to go in and through public health measures, some timely interventions from pharmaceutical companies um, and just smart policy decisions. They were able to really nip that in the bud. And I, I agree with you, David, what, I, I believe that uh, Mike Pence, and maybe I'm just misremembering, but I'm pretty sure he brought up Ron Klain by name in the debate, and the Ebola response was never was never brought up afterwards. Judd, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think definitely Ebola would be the the success example, and I think you know Ron Klain's role during that uh, differed a lot than Mike Pence because he was really tacit; that was his full time job was to tackle that problem and the nuts and bolts of it. You know, Pence was head as head of the, I guess it still exists to some extent, the coronavirus task force, but he's really just a political messenger for Trump. He's not driving uh, any sort of policy. There's no strategy. I, I don't think anyone can recall Mike Pence uh, speaking in detail about how the United States was going to get to some sort of better place uh, with the coronavirus. Um, so, so yeah, I do think, you know, it's difficult. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I pointed out another, you know, place where, Oh, you know, Kamala Harris could, could jump in and, and correct Pence on this or that. I think it is a difficult balance because you have to weigh going in and trying to, 
correct this statement or that statement versus, you know, saying the things that you want to say and communicating your, your message. And, and that's the thing. These are called debates, but, but really it's a, it's a opportunity where you can reach a lot of people and more and more than a debate. That's what makes it significant. And so I, to me, it seems like that was the strategic decision, at least in a, in a number of cases where she made that she was going to use the time to communicate the points that she wanted to make um, and not not get sidetracked, you know, as much. So, um, you know, I think I think overall um, it was a strong performance for her. I think Pence did did okay. Um, I, I think that uh, he probably didn't scare off uh, any any Trump voters. Whereas I think in the first in the first debate, as, as difficult it is, that there may have been you know some sort of wavering Trump voters who who might have said you know after ninety minutes of that that, that maybe they were having some second second thoughts. I don't think Pence created those kind of problems for himself. David, I was wondering how the Republicans are going to play the next three weeks. Trump is getting a note from his doctor saying that he's free to debate Biden next week. And he doesn't want to do a virtual debate. He wants to show up in public. I'm going to assume that Trump is going to be okay next week and show up for the debate. He'll juice, but he'll he'll be fine. Do you think the Republicans are going to play the herd immunity card and survival of the fittest? Is that going to be their gambit in the next three weeks when it comes to COVID-19? That we all got it. We all survived it. It's just as bad as a flu. It's a bad flu. Walk it off. Is that their move? I I think that's. I think that's some of what Trump has been trying, uh, you know, uh, since he got back um, from the White House. Uh, but I think it's a politically, it's very difficult because one of the places where you see a big difference from where Trump was against Hillary Clinton to where Trump is now is seniors. I mean, that's the big switch more than anything else. He's lost ground with seniors and you, you would have to, and he also pulls very poorly on the coronavirus. So I think you can kind of put those two together. Seniors are the most, most vulnerable. Um, they're probably, many of them are likely to know people who either died or got very sick from the coronavirus. So this kind of message that we're going to kind of tough our way through it especially with a group of people who are rightly the most concerned about their own safety is tough. And you've got to think, you know, for Trump, this election, you know, a lot of it. And I, and I think really election night, it's going to be the key thing is Florida because they, they count their mail in ballots in advance. So it's not going to be the, what you hear about, you know, in Pennsylvania and a place like that where they can only count it, on election day, they'll have all of those counted up. If Trump doesn't win Florida, you can forget, you don't really need to watch the rest of it. Um, and so to turn around Florida, he's got to turn around seniors. So if that's really where he's going to go, I, I, 
I don't see it uh, that that be an effective effective strategy for him. Judd, I've got a follow up question for you on the topic of seniors because I agree with you. That's an absolutely critical cohort of the population for Trump. Uh, and therefore also critical for Biden to um, continue to rack up uh, good returns in the polls with those senior citizens, because without the senior citizen vote, Trump really has no path forward. But Trump is putting out what I would consider to be contradictory signals in recent days. Um, On one hand, he's got messages saying, don't let the virus dominate you. Um, And you know, senior citizens don't really have the option of letting, whether they let the virus dominate them or not. People that are between 65 and 74 are 90 times more likely than someone my age, 25, um, to die from COVID. People that are between 74 and 85 are 220 times more likely to die from COVID than someone my age. So, I, I'm, I know that a lot of seniors know this. Sure, they might not know the exact number. Hey, I'm 82 years old. I'm going to be 220 times more likely to die than somebody between 24 and 35. Yeah, I'm sure that they don't know that number. But uh, I think that they, at this point, understand that they're in a cohort that is extremely susceptible to this virus. And the commander in chief is telling them, don't let it dominate you. Everything is going to be all right. So I, I don't know how that message is going to play. But on the other hand, I believe it was just earlier today. He had a, a, an address that he put out on Twitter and I'm assuming Facebook as well, where he said, yeah, you know, I'm going to talk to my favorite people, senior citizens. I, I'm a senior citizen. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> um, and, and really tried to appeal to them by saying, you know, we've got all of these drugs coming out. We're going to treat you like I was treated at Walter Reed. And I'm going to try to work to make all of these treatments free for you because we know that you're in a more susceptible age group. I'm wondering from a messaging perspective, because you do have experience working presidential campaigns. If you think that the don't let the virus dominate you narrative that he's putting out, which isn't explicitly saying we don't really care about you, but they know inherently that they're more susceptible to the virus is going to be a bigger detractor than him saying, yeah, I care about the senior citizens. We're going to get you the treatments for free. We'll draw people to him from that senior citizen cohort. Yeah. I I'm, I'm skeptical that this is going to going to work. Uh, I think he's all over the place. I think he recognizes what we're talking about, that seniors are the key demographic. That's why he came out with that video today. He also has a plan where he's going to send everyone a $200 um, drug discount card uh, from Medicare along with a letter with his name on it. So he knows um, where he needs to uh, improve, and that's with seniors. But I think it's really about uh, in the context of a pandemic, um, I don't think the way to gain people's confidence is to just every day you've got a new thing and a new shiny new object. You need to make people want to feel safe, and and that requires a degree of consistency um, and over time. And what happens? I, I just don't. What happens if he survives? Chris Christie survives. Kellyanne Conway survives. If everybody who was at that party for Ms. Barrett survives. 
I mean, I think it's that, that's probably the likely you know outcome is, is that everyone survives, um, and and I think they will um, you know try to play this off as oh you know you don't have to worry about this as much. Um, I think we've already heard that from Trump, and I think you'll you'll hear that um, again. But I think ultimately what they're saying has to match up with people's experience and unfortunately there's been just a tremendous number of people who have died so if you know someone who either has died or was was you know sent to the hospital um it, it's hard to be compelled with this idea of oh we're just gonna you know tough it out um and that's what i think he's that's what i think he's he's running into um is that it's just a tough way to kind of he's he's good at changing the subject, moving himself onto friendlier ground. Um, you know, that's probably his biggest political skill is, you know, he gets kind I mean, of can he sell, in one place. Can he yeah. convince enough seniors I've been cured? Look at me. I had it. I've been cured. That's what he said last night. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to spin your way out of a pandemic because it's with people you know, 24 hours a day. They know what they've been living through and they know what's happening to them. And I think it's just, it's just hard to, to talk your way out of, but you know, he'll give it a shot. But you vote your, you do vote your hopes. And I have heard some scientists say that there is a vaccine ready to go a few more tests. And that it's the CDC that's stalling it. I mean, you, you could say to the American people, look, it's cured and we have a vaccine you just have to wait till November, the end of November. I mean, it is conceivable that that could be his October surprise that he beat, he personally beat COVID. Yeah, I think I think it's possible. It could work, and I think Trump could still win. You know, I think that could I think that could be that's definitely like a plausible um, outcome. I think the polls today probably point to a different result, but I think. What was it like for Hillary four years ago? What was Hillary polling? In some polls, she she was up double digits in some polls a month out. You know, not all the polls. She wasn't doing as well. But I think, you know, she was there was a there was a poll that was about 30 days out where she was up 14 points. Um, And so. You know, the, the polls can be wrong, but then all the other thing is, you know, you're still 30 days out, so things can change. Things can happen. Um, Storylines can change. Narratives can change. Um, so you never know. I mean, that, Could that's she what, have that's shut my, the government down, uh, the, the country down in March? Could she have gotten business and the American people to agree to stay home? Um, it's interesting because I think that you, you know, there was a period of time when these lockdowns were less controversial. I think if she would have been president, they probably would have been more controversial from the beginning because there there would have been more, um, opposition to it. Um, but I do think that, you know, uh, it, it couldn't have, it couldn't have been handled much worse. And I think she, she would have taken it seriously and, and, and listened to, you know, the, the people who, who know how to deal with, you know, infectious disease. Um, and we would have been in better shape. And you can see that you just look around the world and that people with, with competent leaders 
who just, you know, you don't have to do too much other than, other than listen to the, to the scientists and try right. to make um, informed decisions. And, and most countries um, are, are having a better go of it than we are. Well, last question then Henry, you can wrap it up. Yeah. The Hillary was polling in double digits four years ago, like Biden is, but Biden doesn't have her negativities, right? Yeah. I, one, I think Biden is polling better overall. He's yeah. more he's yeah. more people like him than they yeah. like. Yeah. More people like him. I think he he has yeah, higher favorabilities. And I think also um, the if you look at the narrative where we were 30 days out in 2016, you know, this is when, um, you know, the emails started to leak. You had this ongoing FBI investigation. You know, she was really on her heels um, in this home stretch. And I think that that had a big impact right now. um, You know, and I think this is the Biden campaign strategy. The the election really is just a referendum on Trump this time. Right. Um, It it doesn't have too much to do um, with Biden. And I think, you know, the fact that it's Biden, um, is probably probably part of that um, relatively known known quantity, and you know if he keeps it that way, he'll probably be in good shape. Right. The debate if, if, the debate performance last week had it been four years ago, and we had never seen anything like that before. A lot of Americans would have been turned on by Trump's behavior, but I think a lot of Americans know how the how that behavior ends. So it's, yeah, it didn't didn't help him. Henry, why don't you wrap it up, please? Yeah. So, uh, Judd, thanks for uh, coming on the show before uh, I have you tell the listeners how they can find you. I do have one final question for you, and it's going to be the toughest question. So if you uh, feel like not answering, you know, that's that's fine. But this is in regards to the discussion we had earlier on Facebook and Breitbart. But I held this for the end because what we talked about earlier was very fact based. And this is more of an opinion. So uh-huh. You talked in your piece about how Facebook is just so huge at this point that any sort of regulation within the corporation is is very difficult, if not impossible, to do. Let's say you, Judd Legum, are in charge of Facebook, or let's say that you're in charge of the government. Pick whatever role you want. What would you do to kind of, let's say, reform Facebook or what, what steps would you take to change Facebook in a way that it would allow for better enforcement of rules, better regulation and uh, just being a more, let's say, ethical company overall? Well, I think there was a there was a very interesting piece that came out of the uh, House committee this week uh, talking about Facebook's. Uh, monopoly and, and, and other big tech companies, but their their monopoly power over big segments of um, the economy. And, and effectively, I think, you know, right now, a lot of people feel um, compelled to be on Facebook because that's where all their friends and, and family are and they don't want to lose touch um, with all of those people. Um, I think if you had um, some antitrust enforcement, you know, maybe, you know, maybe just dot, turning back the clock if, if Facebook hadn't been able to buy Instagram, you know, taking out a, a pretty big emerging competitor. But if you had alternatives, if there were 
if it wasn't just like you had to go to Facebook because that's where everyone were, but there were different options that people had of networks where they could go with different, um, different approaches to privacy, different approaches to moderation, different approaches to advertising, you might find that that competition could, could be, could breed a lot healthier uh, information environment. So that, that's where I would look is to look at these antitrust issues and to see, um, you know, if you can bring more genuine competition to, to the social media world. Great. Thanks again, Judd. Judd Legum is the uh, founder of Think Progress as well as the founder of his newsletter, popular.info. Check it out at popular.info. Before I ask Judd how the listeners can follow him on social media and and what he's working on right now, just want to pitch next week uh, for Henry Asks. I'm bringing on Grace Jackson, expert in China and Taiwan. So we're going to have a very interesting conversation in China and Taiwan and how people on the left should be thinking about both China and Taiwan. Judd Legum, thanks a lot for coming on to the show. How can the guests or how can listeners find you, follow you, follow your work and uh, anything that you're working on right now that you want to pitch to the listeners? Well, they can, they can find me on Twitter. It's at Judd Legum, L-E-G-U-M. And uh, as you mentioned uh, generously a number of times, uh, my newsletter is at popular.info. Great. Uh, everybody check out Judd Legum at popular.info. Follow him on Twitter. Judd, it was great talking to you. Uh, hopefully sometime in the future, we can have you back to talk about something else that you work on in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Judd. We'll be back with Bob Rubin. Listening to the David Feldman Show. I want you to me, no manja car, no manja Las Vegas, and no manja Miami. Conheim and Roth. Well, Bob Rubin is here to continue this conversation. Nobody knows more about politics than Bob Rubin. You can watch his Netflix special. It's streaming right now on Netflix. It's called Oddities and Rarities. And it is some of the best, I think, best political satire being done right now. Welcome political satirist Bob Rubin. Thanks, Dave. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can't see you. Do you want to turn your video on? Oh, no, I better not, because I'll get into that in a second. I'm a little under the weather. But before I, we start this segment, I really, I really, I've got something important to say. Okay. And, uh, you know, at the risk of coming off as all lovey-dovey or, you know, all teary, weepy-eyed, whatever, I, I'm just going to say this anyway. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the great astrophysicist once said that on his tombstone he wants his epitaph to read be ashamed to die until you have scored some victory for humanity and then he went on and he said that any person should want the world to be a little better off for them having lived in it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean people praising you that's not what it's about no what do you have to give with no expectation of return. And I thought, what do I have to give with no 
expectation of return, and it hit me. An appearance on the David Feldman. <laughs> so I want to thank you for that, David. Well, thank God bless you. Thank you. I know this is your busy season. Every four years, there's a presidential election and you're in demand because people hang on your your jokes. They turn to you to Um, to laugh so we don't cry. My election insights. I just wanted to say and this I'll be peppering the whole segment with this because I I have a. A few other things. Uh, well, I tell you what, man. I, I'm just happy I'm here. Actually, well, I'm know? glad to. I'm glad you're here. You know, too. because and the other thing is, I know that we set this up. What I guess. Uh, oh, Monday. Yeah, last Monday, a few days right. ago. And anyhow, you know, I was all excited. All, I was excited all week. And as I told you, at least up till the elections, um, I'm going to do uh, uh, your show. Thank you. Every Thursday, and of course on. Uh, uh, of course, the all-important November fifth, Thursday election day. November fifth, November fifth, yes. Thursday. Yes, America yes, goes. I will to be the on, and you and I will be. Well, you'll be doing all the coverage, and I will be with you, giving all my insight. And um, I could pretty much give you the results before the uh, national television and uh, uh, you know gets to that, and the cable networks and everything. So that's going to be exciting. Well, one um, of your concerns when we negotiated this deal is you didn't want to blow out all your oddity and rarity material. You know, the people you have a special on Netflix. So there's a lot of stuff that you talk about in that special about. Right. But that's looking deeper into it. You know, that's getting behind the people that all fill the slots that we're focused on right now. And of course the slots, uh, meaning all the things that people go out to do, Right. Uh, they go out and, um, and they, uh, you know, to get that person in that thing. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the, you know, like uh, whatever, like a city councilman or a, I guess a congressman is what you would call them yeah. in the House of Congress, right? Yeah. So what the people, oh, vote. Yeah. The people go out and vote to get right. these, their favorite people in these positions. And that's pretty much what's covered right now. This is what you've been talking about. And this is what you and I will be talking about in the next month. But the special, Oddities and Rarities on Netflix. Unfortunately, is referring that title is referring to a moment of truth, a moment of righteousness, a moment of glory that has become diminished to a moment that is considered odd and is extremely rare. Exactly. And David, I'm not happy about this at all. Now the special gets in to the philosophy of what's behind the curtain and what we have to do because this is just more theater in the political arena. And this is why people say, well, you know what? Maybe this time things will change. And then they get disappointed and then they get amnesia four years later and they say again, you know what? Maybe things will change. So my special goes behind all the superficial stuff one of the really? things one of the things that you say in your special is I could be funny. I could make you laugh. Sure, exactly. But I don't have the luxury of that. No, that, I don't that, have the luxury. You don't have the luxury what, of being funny right now is what no, you I say. Don't. And I'll tell you another thing, Dave. The, uh, the the special obviously was taped before the virus hit. Right. And um the the uh the so people say, oh, that's bad timing because your first special, which took you know thirty eight years 
35 years, whatever to get. Uh, and then people are saying, well, you know, the momentum uh, was wiped out. Any kind of momentum, any kind of um, uh, uh, development and, and parlaying it into more uh, situations uh, of exposure and maybe, uh, you know, monetizing it some more, that all got wiped out, taken away by the virus. And I say, no, no, no. Actually, the timing is astounding mm-hmm. because there's no one in our uh, – none of our uh, – our, uh, our acquaintances and, and, and none of our, um, uh, what's that word I'm trying to look for? The people that do what we do, our colleagues, yes. Oh, none of our acquaintances and colleagues have ever known or lived through it, known anyone or themselves lived through a pandemic. So this is a unique situation that really hasn't affected this country in 100 years. But I say, wow, because you know what it did? It put so many eyes on a special, and they saw – People before me that were put on this year with the same jokes and, you know, some really nice, funny stuff, but the stuff you go to the nightclubs and you hear when you're, you know, ordering your drinks and you're trying to impress your friends or your date or your wife or whatever. Um, but what I happened to have was a show going into all this. I didn't foresee it, obviously, but I had a show. It was not funny. That was not the time to laugh was the no, original was title of your special. That, that was the original title of the special. And unfortunately, uh, there was that, you know, you have to go through all these. Uh, you, oh, you have to do a title search. You know, you pay mm-hmm. like several hundred dollars for a title search and you have to hire a media lawyer and all that. And unfortunately, that title was locked up and it had been used. Uh, this is not the time to laugh. And uh, uh Originally, I think it was a uh, a sitcom done in the '60s by the same guy that produced the Dick Van Dyke Show, who also played the mean bartender in It's a Wonderful Life. And I can't right. Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon, Sheldon Leonard. Leonard, yes. And he had wrapped up. He had done a sitcom in the '60s called um, Now Is Not the Time to Laugh. Yes, and it was starred Goldie Hawn. And right. a year later, she would become famous on Laughing, which right. was. A time to laugh. But now is not the time to laugh. But people in comedy have to work. And you have to give the people not just what they want, but what they need. So you give them comedy that doesn't make make you laugh. No, I know that. I know that. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And and the thing is, I didn't, you know, like I said, nobody foresaw this. You did. You, You made a special where you told people to stop laughing. That's right. And and people said, you know, you're jeopardizing your career. Then no, no. Watch the whole thing. Watch right. the whole thing. And then anybody you know, can make an audience laugh. Right. And That's the, the easy is, part. Right. And you're going to get through my special oddities and well, Bob Rubin oddities and rarities. Just punch that up in the search box because I do know that it is playing until May of next year. And it's appropriate. Uh, the, the great thing about your special is it's appropriate for this time. Exactly. You will not laugh. You you can no, you watch it during a funeral. What's that? You can watch it during a funeral. Yeah, you can watch it during a funeral. You can watch it on your um your mobile device on, at a funeral, and it wouldn't be inappropriate. Not uh, at all. There will be no nobody will be. This, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is this, Dave. But then you know when you get through this. When you watch my show, you know, an hour later, you're going to say, wow, you know, I didn't laugh at all. You won't even accidentally laugh. You won't accidentally find some sort of piece of irony or something that you can relate to. Because this is, um, you know, a a philosophical drama that nobody had 
the the drive or the, the the heart and soul to deliver and look at head on. I stood at the edge of the abyss and I looked down. You know, uh, and the Jamie's abyss crying, blinked, and the abyss blinked. And I didn't, you know, and, and may Eddie Van Halen rest in peace, by the way. But you know, I stared into the abyss, and you know, I lost a lot of friends there. Yeah. And like I said, you know, uh, Jamie is cried because there's a lot to weep about. You know what? People say there's a lot to laugh about, but let's, you know, it feels good not to laugh again. That's what I always say when I, when I watched your special oddities and rarities and I've, I, I, I still watch it. I watch it over and over again. And I say to my family, it feels good at times like this. It feels good not to laugh, not laughing is the ultimate medicine. It really is. Let me ask you about, you know, trying this out on the road before you taped it. Did you find that you'd come up with an idea that wasn't funny? Everybody told you it wasn't funny. And then you go up on stage, you try it out and it gets a laugh. Exactly. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. The, I mean, you know, this is why it took 35 years to get there, Dave. This wasn't right. something I thought about and go, hey, you know what? I think I'll work the road for a few months and get it down. Cause right. go, go ahead. To all the comedians that might be listening right now or, or people in the entertainment, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just that simple. No, no. This took 35 years to execute. And you know what? I would go into a club and walk everybody. You know, I would do a 50 to 60 minute set sometimes 75 and usually 15 minutes into it, a 300 crowd, a 300 capacity crowd sold out within 15 minutes would be down to a 30, right. A crowd of 30. And, um, you know, and afterwards the, uh, the club owner would come out and go, man, you know, what the hell you just, you walked everybody. And I, I thanked him, you know, for backing me up like that. Cause the reality was, no, I didn't, I failed the 30 people. 10%, you know, you got to have a hundred percent. You got to connect a hundred percent of the time when you're, you know, when you want to make sure that people are, you, you, you get people to move, you, you animate your audience. I mean, exactly. Dave. And here's the funny thing. Here's the irony. Here's the irony, Dave. You come in and you know, you're setting this tour I and mean, I have, you know, me, you've known me since 83, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know that I've always had a good reputation. Sometimes I was always a little threatened by you because I always prided myself as a guy who walked an audience and didn't get laughs. And then you moved to San Francisco and they say, hey, there's this young kid coming up who doesn't get laughs the way you do. He's walking crowds the way you do. I'm thinking, right. well, this no, is, you know, this know. is my but hook. Hey, and- hey, hey, give yourself more credit. You've done plenty to advance the, uh, you know, not laughing game. Uh, I know, but uh, you know, you 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 made me better as a comedian because I, I always thought. Hey, this is why I love you, man. Because you you keep it real, and you know everybody's like you know people are jealous. Let me tell you a couple things, Dave. This is interesting. You talk about the oh my god, the coincidence here. Okay, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, so I'm doing. You know, the no laughing and, and, you know, I'm walking these crowds left and right and I'm finally getting praised for it. Right. Even though I feel bad because I'm not hundred percent. I know I've got this special to shoot coming up, you know, and it's like, I'm running out of time here to perfect this. It's, now, it's, it's you're a perfectionist. I know it. I know what it's like. You can do a show in front of 300 people and you're, you're just dying up there. And you and but there's one guy who won't leave and you fixate 
on that one guy out of 300 who's still right, there right, and you think right. I failed right, still there's still somebody the here no but he's still thinking the old way he's still thinking this is a comedy show and it's like yes you're right but the old way constricts you confines your vision to what's exactly in front of you which are what jokes great stories uh, um, uh, uh, real life observations um, even uh, and, yeah and jokes okay I already said that mm-hmm. but he's not looking at it the new way which is dig, go, you know, the veil's thinning, Dave. I don't want to get into it, the pyramids and the beacons and everything like that, although it is sukkah, happy sukkah. And, Thank uh, you. And people say, what is sukkah? And I was like, oh, you know, it's another holiday where we're celebrating the Israelis going through the desert for 40 years, you know, being led to the promised land, you know, and it's like, well, I thought you did that on Pat. Yeah, we do it, but we do it a lot, man. We celebrate it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, Dave, and – uh um, is that, and I was thinking about this today, and I wanted to say a couple of things, is that maybe we should have stayed because they had, uh, you ever see those ancient technology shows on the uh, History Channel mm-hmm. and the, and the uh, observations about what is still left behind there? But, you know, a lot of people think the ancient Egyptians had uh, highways, had electricity. They had um, the Luxor. They had the Luxor, um, the first casino. The first the casino, they had the first casino. Yeah. And really a lot of good things. Anyhow, I don't want to get into it, but that's just a small core sample of what I'm talking about. Let me ask you about prepping a special. But not going for the joke, Dave. This is not the time to laugh. It is not, you, it's never the time to laugh. This is not the time to laugh, as you succinctly put it. And I'll tell you, Dave, I got, let me tell you something. The, the other reason I'm happy to be here is that I woke up this morning and I was feeling pretty bad. And it got worse as the day went along. And then a few minutes ago, while I was waiting to come on, I, I, I checked online. And I've got seven out of nine sy- symptoms, coughing, fever, extreme tiredness, runny eyes, reddened gums, excessive urination, itchy skin. And the thing about this is what's scary. Wait, hold on a second, Dave. Okay. All right. Apparently, these are dog danger signals. Oh, my God. Holy shit. I've got kennel cough and parvovirus. Oh. Oh, my God. Anyhow, look, the thing is. You've got kennel cough? We're celebrating. Huh? You've got kennel cough. Yeah, I've got kennel cough. Uh Look, the thing is, we're here. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Why are you laughing? That's offensive. Did I hear you laugh? Exactly. No, this is no, no there's no time for laughter, Bob Rubin. There isn't. It, it's, no, but let me ask you a question. I was thinking about when there was time for laughter, but you know, the world was different then. And you know, right now, it's like I said, let's peek behind the curtain and see what is really driving our thought pattern. What mm-hmm. is really our motivation? Because that is where you can init- initiate change. And you know what? When you are laughing, what do they say, Dave? They say, oh, it takes your mind off your problems. Well, guess what, Dave? When you're not laughing at all, guess what? It takes your mind off your problems, but it also leads to answers. Laughing does not lead to answers. People have been laughing for a long, long time, Dave, and nothing, nothing has changed, you know? Yeah. Can I give you a question. compliment? Can I give you, because I watched 
oddities and rarities. I've seen it like 10 times. I appreciate it. It's it's a master's class in not getting laughs. You have a a very high standard when it comes to not getting laughs. Exactly. There are certain things I would say on stage that would be just, you know, received with absolute silence, right? But then I'd realize that's cheap silence. Like, I've often gone for the cheap, right. easy silence. Right. right. Now, I know. Extreme swearing is a shortcut to thinking. I've, I've heard that, yes. But your silence, it's pure. It's highbrow. It doesn't resort to, uh, you don't resort to, you don't manipulate the crowd into staying silent. Well, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I don't. You have very high standards. Well, I mean, I appreciate that, man. I mean, I don't, you know, I can't stand people that pander to the crowd. Like, I've seen guys that kind of do what I do, but when they get down to 10 or 15 people out of three, 400, they start, you know, asking them, like, oh, you know, say, hey, I appreciate you sticking around. Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, ridiculous. And here's the other thing, Dave. Once again, unbelievable. I'm leading the curve. They talk about walking the crowd. That's not the way to do it. Well, guess what, Dave? All these comics are going out on tour right now, and they're not allowed to have an audience. You're not allowed to have an audience. They're doing uh, what I call, and it's easy. They think they're doing what I'm doing, but they're doing a pre-walk package, man. Right. That's, you know, I mean, I saw that coming, number yeah. one. Yeah. And here it is. Anybody can do that. But, yeah, and anybody can do that. I mean, the pandemic shut down the crowd. You know, yeah. but if you want to stand up there in front of no one and think you're not going over, then fine. Go ahead and right. do that. I mean, if your ego's that big where you got to get on, and they're not paying you anything for it, by the way. You know, and I'm not making any money right now. I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I, I managed to, to, to uh, you know, get this Netflix special to help me out in these rough times. But that's not what's important right now. It's because the whole thing was done because of the election year, not because of a pandemic. Right, even, right. Well, Bob Rubin, your new special is oddity, oddities and rarities. Not a single yeah, laugh. I mean, I, I'm telling you, this is the kind of special you can sit down and you don't have to worry about cracking up. Well, this is the used. thing, Dave. It's not if this is the thing, it's gonna go over big without going over at all. Right. And you've seen that t-shirt. I sell that on my website. If I could plug myself, I want to plug one other thing. You met my wife. My beautiful Jennifer, who is a drummer in a great band called Left on the Dial, uh, Genesis in uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Their debut album uh, comes out tomorrow, October 10th, Friday. Oh. And I just wanted to say, check out their new album, Left on the Dial, on all your streaming music platforms, Spotify, iTunes, and all the rest. And uh, Well, I, I want to continue this. Can dialogue. you come back next week? Because yeah, I, I have to say, I have not not laughed this hard. Thank you. Since wanna, the last time you were here. And I want to thank you for taking the time uh, with me and, you know. Well, it's and, great to. And not, and not, you know, not, and not laughing. It's great. You know, times like this, it's great to be talking with an old friend who still can't make me laugh. And it. it I appreciate it, that, it man. Means, it means a lot. I appreciate me. it. Thank that's, you. One of the, that's one of the reasons I love you, because you always, over the years, you know, I mean, we kind of separated after the initial comedy scene in San Francisco when, yeah. you know, ran its course. And then, but every time I would run into you in Hollywood and you would always say, you know, we'd go get a coffee or something. You go, you know what? 
you still don't make me laugh. And I'm yeah. like, and then we'd hug and, you know, yeah. then we'd get back to talking about yeah, I don't know what it is. You've yeah. always had a way not to make me laugh. You just, you, you know it, my... Yeah. I love you. You know my. You know my. You well, know my funny, like, you'll say that, and I got that. And then we hug, and then we got back. Yeah, how about those Dodgers? You know. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not allowed to show our emotions, which is no. another thing I don't do in my performances anymore either. Because there's no time for laughter, and here's the teaser for next week: there's yeah. no time whatsoever for emotions. Right. We're not talking human emotions. Right. No time for that either. We'll get into that next week. I'll okay. talk to you next Thursday. Political satirist Bob Rubin, everybody. Thank you, Dave. I don't think I have not not laughed that hard in in months. Thank you, Bob. Well, uh, Andy Brown, are you here? I want to plug Discord, and then we'll go to Dan in the newsroom for Community Billboard. There's Andy Brown. Andy Brown in Minnesota. Hey, you set up the Discord, and it's great. I attended Professor Adnan Hussein's Marxist study group on Sunday. Tell us about Discord. <laughs> Yeah, I set up a Discord. We've got about a hundred uh, people in it so far, wow. or a little bit, little bit more. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. That's filled with all sorts of you know esoteric, random shit that that we. Uh, it's kind of just as random as this show. You know, it's not all politics. It's not all COVID. Um, basically, anything goes on there, but. That's where the Marx, the Marxism uh, weekly uh, discussion actually happens. Uh, that you know, besides on Twitter, um, and yeah, if people want to get in, the best way would be to probably come to office hours, and uh, you can join the chat in office hours, and uh, we will haze you, and if. We deem you worthy. You may get an invite. It's pretty exclusive. Not everyone can get in. I don't know about that. I don't. Do you do you surprised. haze people in Discord? Well, we have to, David. <laughs> you have to. We they have to prove themselves uh, by letting us uh, tear them down emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, but. Uh, Thank you, Andy, for that. And Absolutely. I'll see you uh, at office hours Friday night at 9 p.m. And maybe we'll see you Saturday at 9 p.m. for an evening with Dr. Jen. Thank you. Uh, Dan Frankenberg, are you going to come to an evening with Dr. Jen? Are you going to help us Saturday night at 9 p.m.? I will be there. Good. It's going to be an easy thing. It's a way of saying thank you to all the people who have come out and supported our pay-per-view events. We've raised a lot of money. I felt it was necessary not to do a a pay-per-view event Saturday, but I wanted to thank everybody. And I thought, an evening with Dr. Jen, let's talk about animal behavior and have some fun. So we're going to do it in the Zoom room and on YouTube. That's how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to yet how we're going to be able to take questions from the Zoom room into this new software we're using to put it up on YouTube. But we'll figure it out by Saturday night. I think people can be in the Zoom room and watch it on YouTube at the same time. 
Right. One thing I've experienced because I do have both going during the shows is you have to mute one of them. Right. So it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. If you want to see a train wreck this (laughs) Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and if you would like to attend via the Zoom room, then go to David Feldman Show dot com hit the attend a live taping pull down menu and you'll get an invite and office hours every friday at 9 p.m tell me about community billboard and what is tom weber up to well tom weber has an event coming up uh, this saturday on the 10th where he is selling some of his artwork and the website that is hosting that is called my dot dot com and if you go on there and search for OLOL Oktoberfest, and that's spelled with a K, um, it will bring up an event that he is selling his art on. Uh, I think it's through his church. And uh, his vendor name is Tom Weber Art and Portraiture. And okay. he's one of the vendors on this event. So go buy some of Tom's artwork. He's a, He continues to amaze us with his singing and his insight, and his art. Yeah, during office hours, he's amazing. Yeah, I, I stop what I'm doing when he's talking. Yeah. What are you doing during office hours? I'm doing a lot of things. I organize. <laughs> I was joking with Kathleen. I showed her a picture of all my papers I have of notes for the show. They're everywhere, and I organized them into four folders last right. office hours. So I got something done. I read the chat from yesterday's vice presidential debate. We have to figure out how to incorporate it. I, I get so nervous with the guests that I don't have time to. It's a balancing act that uh, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, you either stop and make it a point to do it or mm-hmm. just don't do it one right. or the other. But it's okay. Or people can raise their hands and we'll we'll take their calls. That's one way of doing it. There's a lot of funny stuff in there last night. Yeah. A lot of good ones. So for the community billboard, yes, I sir. have a few announcements. Uh, one of our listeners, Arjun Hundel, uh, has been making a podcast for a couple of years called Deep Into History. Ah. And his latest episode begins a chronicle of how the Roman Republic fell to the empire. Mm. And uh, he says, this story is so important for every leftist or those bastard centrists to know. Okay, and what is I'm, the name of the podcast? It is called Deep Into History. Okay. And uh, he said, I made this series because the times called for it. And he, he had seven months of research just to get into the we first We should have episode. him on the show. Why don't we have him on the show? Well, I have his contact info. Okay. So that's good. Deep into yeah. history. So good. check that. I down, I down, downloaded it today and made sure it was legit and it sounds good and everything. So okay. it's up there. Um, the next COVID Town Square show, it's been confirmed. It's going to be October 17th. Uh, Kathleen has some great storyline ideas that she's fleshing out, so we'll be getting to work on that soon. A lot of talk, a lot to talk about with COVID-19. The irritable immunologist and Henry Huckamaki will be doing a COVID Town Squares a week from this Saturday. Correct. Okay, good. And one of the writers on the show, Benji, has a Facebook and Facebook page and a YouTube channel that okay. uh, he's working on. We should check out. It's called Swampfoot Studios, Florida. Swampfoot. And I've, I've checked them out, and they're pretty funny. So go subscribe to those and uh, help one of the writers out getting some followers. Mm-hmm. Um, TheDavidFeldmanShow.com. You should go there and check out the, the new merch page available. All union. It's All union. union made. Yes. Yep. 
Um, I wanted to give a shout out to John Ross. He's been on the show a bunch of times the past few months and it's, He's brilliantly hilarious. So right. follow him on Twitter at Fun With Friction. He was going to be on the show yesterday, but there was a big power outage in Western Mass. He sent me some pictures. A lot of trees fell. I guess oh, they, really? had, they had some weather in Massachusetts. Power outage. Yeah, it was a little windy in here, uh, up, up here in New York the last couple of days, too. It was blowing pretty hard. Hmm. Um Episode one of the Radio Play COVID Confidential has been released on YouTube. Oh. We got that released the last day or two. Uh, the YouTube channel is called COVID Confidential, but since the channel is so new, it's a little hard to search for. So if you go to the, the Twitter handle, at COVID underscore radio, it's really easy to find. And uh, I've been told that episode two will be released this Saturday. Right. The people who come to COVID Town Squares, there's a little radio play that... Henry and Kathleen produce. They play it at the end of COVID Town Squares. You have to pay. You have to come to the pay-per-view event, but you're saying now it's available on YouTube. Right. Episode one is being released, and uh, episode two is going to be released this coming Saturday. Okay. That is good. I'd like to uh, play just a clip on YouTube of the BM joke. The Butte, Montana (laughs) joke. Well, I have to talk to you about that because Kathleen uh, has been asking me that the next time I talk to you, she wants to know what software you use to grab um, the Zoom video info. She's having a hard time using iMovies to download it and then it won't go into iMovies. So I'll have to talk you, to you, you about that. You can download. There's a link that we sent to the attendees. Anybody who goes, they can just download the, the, well, the show. She was able, she's able to download it, but not pull it into iMovies for some reason. It's rejecting it. She's like, ask David what he's using. It was just something simple. Like I think that. it's it's a QuickTime. Isn't it a QuickTime video? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I use <laughs> Premiere Pro. Premiere Pro. Yes, because okay. I'm a pro. Philactic. Sure. What, what else? <laughs> um, lastly, we're going to give a shout out to Henry. A shout out? A shut up to Henry. <laughs> a shut up. A shout out? Uh-huh. Um, How funny was Martha Previtt today (laughs) and yesterday? I think that was the best Melania she and Jim have ever done. I don't know what happened to Jim. Jim was going to chime in with Bob Rubin, but he disappeared. I'm not sure. I think think Jim is mad at me. Why would he be mad at you? Because uh, we got overbooked and he uh, didn't get to chime in on Kamala, and I'm kind of afraid, to be honest with you, what he has to say about that communist monster, Kamala Harris. (laughs) Are you saying, are you admitting you put him off a little bit? I didn't put him off. I I booked him for the vice presidential debate at the last minute, and I I thought he'd go on later. And then he disappeared. And then Melania was. Yeah, so- yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah, oh, there I, he I, is. OK, yeah. hang on. Come on. Come on. Give me a break. Of course, I'm going to say something about Kamala Harris. Oh. Let's see. Let's let's see your face. Turn the video on. Hi, Jim. Let, let's finish Community Billboard and then you can I mean, let's finish Community Billboard. And then if we have time. 
Welcome, <laughs> motherfucker. Jim, and then two hours later, I'm still st- sitting my, on my ass while Emil Guillermo is making all kinds of excuses for Kamala Harris just lying through her teeth. Uh, it's political. She's playing politics. All right, hang on. No, let's finish. All right, hang on. Let, let, hang on. Hang on. Let me. Let's finish. There's only, there's only 18 more pages. Hold on one second. Let's, let's, <laughs> guy from Think Progress on. I, 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 I made a promise. Don't. Don't insult our guests. Malcolm Nance is a Russia baiter. Okay. Well, let's finish Community Billboard, and then Jim has some choice words for our guests. And Here's my Community Billboard. <laughs> Come on, keep your shirt on. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, no. Hey, hey, Jim, Jim, come on now. You know, billboard that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Henry Hakamaki. <laughs> Henry Hakamaki, yes. Henry Hakamaki. You corrected yeah. me this time. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all flustered. Yeah, well, the, uh, Jim, <laughs> Jim, yeah, go ahead. Patreon.com forward slash Huck1995. We're Everybody really should what... subscribe to Henry Hakamaki's newsletter on science, COVID-19, and public health by going to patreon.com forward slash Huck1995. And Martha Previtt has a Patreon Hello, account. Hello, Davey. Okay, we're talking, <laughs> Melania, we're talking about Martha Previtt right now. Patreon.com forward slash Martha Previtt. Go ahead. Yep. And uh, Henry's Twitter is at Huck1995 as well. And right. that's it for Community Billboard. Thank you, as always. Have fun, Jim. Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Cannot do these shows without Dan. He is getting us through the COVID town squares. And, and we're going to do another Diabetic Fury show, right? Jim, yeah. are we going to do another Diabetic Fury show? Absolutely. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Are we confirming the 24th? I was messaging Martha earlier. I think that's pretty much set. Excuse me? Are we confirming the 24th? <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> With Martha. He was talking was, to Martha. I was, I was messaging Martha. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll get the money. You'll get the money. <laughs> money? We don't do any uh, Nobody gets... Uh, so... Hang on for one second. So when are we doing Diabetic Fury? October 24th. Oh, good. We should do like a Halloween. That's what I said. Yeah. We should we should Halloween be going party. going pick everybody up on the way to a Halloween party. That would be and, funny. Uh, That'd be a lot of fun. And we can be go, go into a haunted Zoom room. You you can have everybody can have a little get up or a mask right. to have on or something. Each. We'll have to have a group meeting because the following COVID town squares is the 30, 31st actually on Halloween. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to not step on each other a little bit. That's okay. No. We can be, go as nudist. Or we can intentionally step on each other. We could step on, we can, we can maybe <laughs> each Zoom room can be a part of the human psyche and the Hershenfelds and Dr. Harriet Fraud can give us a tour of the folds in our brain. That would be interesting. I'll write that down. I'm just trying to calm Jim down before you know, koalas I ask. Koalas have smooth brains. I'm sorry? Koalas? Koalas? Have they, they have smooth brains? Mm-hmm. So, Jim, uh, you got bumped yesterday because... Or Kamala Harris. Uh, Kamala Harris jerk-off fast. 
because you're. <laughs> what is it? Uh, you wrote such a funny bit, Jim, for Melania. That was the that was the funny that you you are so funny. When I watch Melania perform on this show, I think that's why he has an Emmy. That's why he has a Peabody. Anyway, uh, it's so what good. What's to- one of my Emmy? I'm sorry. Where is my Emmy? It's in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about, Jim. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, now I know what you mean, Dave. Yeah. You you are brilliant. So anyway, and I and I specifically asked you not to crap on any of our guests. So I know you're not going to do that tonight. You're not going to say anything bad about any of our guests, right? Malcolm Nance wasn't on your. Has he ever been on your show? Malcolm Nance. Yeah. No. No. What have you ever had uh, Glenn Greenwald on? No. You should. I would love to have Gren Gren Gleanwald on my show. No, not Gren Gleanwald. I would. I love the Intercept. It's one of my. It's fantastic. I don't think he would do my show. I don't think I'm. I'm not big enough. Huh? I think you should. I think. I think he would. I I don't don't see reason why he wouldn't. I don't think the show is on his radar. I don't think that man. He does. does podcasts and things that aren't on anybody's radar. Yeah, but I, I we're a, a small little show, and I, I'll reach out to him. But yeah. uh, I, I like our anyway. So uh, you were pleasantly surprised by Senator Harris's performance, and I think really performance. And I she think should, you're going to vote for her and Biden because she's the. the uh, Jeb Bush of uh, Hillary Clinton's. She's a brilliant, brilliant prosecutor. I can't, I can't, I can't understand how she ever won a case. Really, she's terrible. She could barely argue her own beliefs. It was. Have you ever, either anybody in the chat room, uh, ever been on uh, jury duty, or I was on jury duty. Or, or or been almost selected for jury duty. Remember the prosecutors. Prostituta. Prosecutors would come and argue their case, or or they would present their case to you. She has the exact same uh, debate technique, and it's and it's so cringeworthy. It's it's pathetic, and she she can't. Her speaking pattern cackling. and her constant cackling. Yes. It's just, oh, my God. Would you and like to hear? Uh, would you like to hear our president on with Sean Hannity? There's something very funny. Calling her a monster? Huh? Am I calling her a monster? Even want to use Here. Can you hear this? Well, I didn't even want to use them. You know, last time. Can you hear that? No, you can't hear the president. That's a big problem. They oscillated my mics when I had the. Can you hear that? No. No, you can't. Oh, there's something funny that's about to happen, but if you can't hear it, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric von Stroheim. Uh, let me try this. What's it? Can you hear it now? No. 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 All right. I thought. All right. And the Emmy for best audio goes. Why are you mocking me? I'm just trying to. I'm pleading. I'm just trying to make people miserable. What? All right. So you were totally disappointed. My grandmother. 
You, you yes, were, totally. She was terrible. It was she, the only thing worse than her was Pence, and, but it was kind of a draw. All right. Yeah, and you know, praising fracking, vowing never to ban fracking. Oh, that's good. That's that's a big plus. That's going to really appeal to people who want to die. Jim, horrible climate Jim, catastrophe. Jim, you're nitpicking. She said that climate change is an existential threat. Isn't that good enough? So, so what? So, so fracking. So she should. Well, if it's an existential threat, then she sh- should want to stop it. But, but you have to compromise, Jim, with existential threats. You know, fracking is. <laughs> don't show him. Don't show Hitler. Okay, this guy. <laughs> don't. You, politics is the art of compromising, Jim. We, these two guys compromised, and look where it got them. They didn't compromise. We're, look where it got them. He, he was married, and uh, he was uh, left hanging. He was left hanging at the altar. At the altar. See? When they sacrificed him to the gods of democracy. You're talking about Mussolini, you're talking about. Mussolini, yeah. Yes. All right, so she wants to frack. What's a little methane? What's a little methane between friends? I know you're just taking the devil's advocate. I'm not taking the devil's advocate. People in Pennsylvania need cancer clusters. There There are people in Pennsylvania who won't vote for Joe Biden unless he can promise them cancer clusters, and you yeah, only and get cancer clusters from fracking. You've seen the latest polling. They're in the vast major- minority. Yes, the they are. People polled in, in, in Pennsylvania want to ban fracking. Yes, they, they do. And yes, so, they do. Once again, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can't do the barest minimum, the right. barest, barest minimum to attract voters and to do what's right for the world. So you're saying that registered voters in Pennsylvania and Joe needs Pennsylvania. It's fracking country in Pennsylvania. And Joe Biden is saying, I have to support fracking because the people of Pennsylvania want fracking. But the polls show that they don't want fracking because their water is poisoned and their kids are getting sick. So why is he supporting fracking then? For Pennzoil. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that Joe Biden is in the pocket of fossil fuel interests. That's exactly what I'm saying. You hit the nail right on the head, Dave. Okay, but you got to respect somebody who, who, who stands up and says to the mob, whoa, 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 slow down here. This is what I believe no matter what you want. That's what leadership is, is to say to, to the mob in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is saying they're coming to Joe with pitchforks and they're saying, stop giving us cancer, Pennzoil. And Joe Biden is brave enough to say, no, I'm going to take money from Pennzoil because I believe in supporting the people who are killing you. You got to respect that. That's hardball. Joe Biden is probably going to win this election. Well, he's he's going to nobody's going to win this election except the non-voters who are the majority of the voters. But he'll get 
probably get more electoral votes than Trump does, unless unless Trump miraculously stops killing people. Yeah, but you know that's that's what people are voting on. They're voting for somebody because they're voting against Trump because he killed a bunch of people. That's what's happening. They're not voting for for Joe Biden. Right. And is killing a bunch of people bad? Apparently not for Joe Biden, because he supported a war that killed over four million Iraqis. And he's he's vows to uh, to veto something that would save 68000 American lives every year. Medicare for all, you know, things like that. Also, he's against uh, the Green New Deal. He won't. Yeah, and he mocks Bernie Sanders and socialized medicine constantly. So, but he says climate change is an existential threat. You believe it's an existential threat, isn't it? It is. You should want to stop it. It's an Aristotelian threat as well, isn't it? Aristotelian? Yeah, it's more than an existential threat. It's a neo-positivist threat. Uh, you know, if if. Donald Trump are really... What does existential threat even mean? It's, I don't know, fascist is a threat to the world. You know, the Democrats claim that that they believe Donald Trump is, is an existential threat and a fascist and a dictator and a traitor and a criminal, uh, all these things. Pelosi has said that. Schumer has said this. Uh, but they... Why can't you just get with the program, Jim? Send their their thoughts and prayers to the man when he gets a little sick. Why can't you get with the program, Jim? We're all supposed to be on the same hymnal. Triple A? What? Triple A? Get with the program. Donald Trump is a fascist. Joe Biden is going to return us to the halcyon days of the Obama administration when everything was perfect. Why can't you believe that? I believe it. I believe when he takes over, you know, things will go back to normal again. And why can't you why can't you delude yourself into believing that Barack Obama saved America? Why won't you believe that? It doesn't have to be true. Why can't you suspend? Why can't you suspend your disbelief? For for 30 days. Hey, I've I've. I've watched Ellen. I can suspend my disbelief. Suspend your disbelief. Where's the child in you? Don't you want to? Don't you want to be? Oh, you don't want to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't you be like the rest of us and and believe? You got to believe. Clap your hands if you believe. How are you going to feel on election day? If Joe Biden doesn't win, are you going to be scared? I'm going to be unsurprised. Okay, but are you going to be scared? I'm scared now. I was scared (laughs) under Obama. (laughs) Yeah. Scared under Clinton. But if Trump gets reelected, it's an existential threat. Then they should want wish him dead. Who? Democrats, Schumer, Pelosi, everybody who's appeared on the show. Well, I don't know what that has. Why can't you vote for Joe Biden? You know, you know what's in his heart. I can I I could easily vote for Joe Biden. I just refuse to. 
Also, I live in Maine. Why are you going to vote for Joe Biden in an overwhelmingly Democratic blue state? Because I'm a coward. <laughs> I live in Maine. We have we have ranked choice voting here. We have six choices and a, and a write in. We've got a write in. Guess so, what I'm going to write in there? Guess who I'm going to write in? The guy who isn't running, Bernie. No, Stinky McGurk. Stinky McGurk. Mm-hmm. And you think Stinky McGurk, first of all, he's weak on Israel, Stinky McGurk. Okay. But he's, pro, he's pro-Palestine, isn't he? Yeah, he well, he's, and he also has libertarian tendencies that appeals to you. And those libertarian tendencies oh, that Stinky McGurk has, they belie a strain of racism that I don't approve of. Stinky McGurk. Well, that's... Do you even know who Stinky McGurk is? No. Yeah, yeah. You like that's you. You're like just trying to be young because the kids like Stinky McGurk. But what? Ha- what? God forbid, Stinky I, McGurk I knew, actually got elected. I knew, I knew Stinky McGurk's brother, and you, my friend, are no Stinky McGurk's brother. Stinky McGurk. It, it's so. It's just what the kids are doing. Well, Stinky I'm with McGurk. it. I'm hip. I'm with it. Yeah. Wait a minute. All right. Randall Hayes from Pennsylvania. We're going to wrap this up. Maybe you can reason with Jim. You're, you're in Pennsylvania, right? Randall? Randall. Randall. Go. Yeah, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. You're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Now, wasn't that where Three Mile Island? Yeah, yeah. I'm in Pennsylvania. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes. Wasn't Harrisburg where Three Mile Island was? Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Wasn't that's right? Wasn't Harrisburg where Three Mile Island was? Correct. Yeah, not too far from that from that accident. There was a there was a, a nuclear right. power accident, and you decided what this state needs. Is more yeah, fracking, right. yep. more fracking, less nuclear power, right? Right? <clears throat> Randall? Your Honor. Okay. Also witness. Hi, Randall. What's on your mind? Hey, sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, couldn't speak properly, but... Yeah, you know, ever since our Democratic governor cozied up to the natural gas industry, I've been offered several jobs, and I've just seen my quality of life improve, improve, improve. Is that true? You're a lobbyist in Pennsylvania, a good lobbyist. Is it true that most Pennsylvanians don't like fracking, that they've seen what it does to their liver and their lungs and their children? Oh, no, you already know You already know the, the, uh, the answer to that question, David. It's... Uh, a sad story. We had a, an organization, grassroots organization called uh, LAP, Lancaster Against Pipelines. And that's a neighboring county to me, Lancaster, Lancaster County. And they had a real grassroots, powerful movement for months and months and months trying to stop the construction of this pipeline through their neighborhoods and their backyards and Amish country, you know, some of the best uh, produce producing land in the nation, truly, uh, really a, a breadbasket in in uh, produce and they failed it's it's really sad but you know they had nuns they had priests they had uh, uh 
construction, you know, they, they built structures in the way of this pipeline and they tried their damnedest, man. They tried and they tried, but uh, unfortunately they failed. And it was just a real sad thing to learn that, hey, whatever happened to Lancaster against pipelines? And, you know, a friend of mine said they, they didn't they didn't make it. So, so yeah, it's a, a myth. It's so it's a myth when they say Joe Biden supports fracking for the votes. That's a myth. The votes, you don't get votes supporting fracking. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the people who are in these neighborhoods, of course not. You know, they know what's going on. You're, you, you know the deal, uh, guys. It's, 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 a, it's a travesty. And the common, common uh, person, they, they don't see any benefit from this. And it does make you wonder, what the hell is he thinking? You know, uh, he's already got the Democratic votes. He's already got these people's votes. So who is he trying to appeal to? It's, it's just strange. Who is he trying to appeal to? He just wants their money. He just wants Pennzoil. He just wants the fracking money. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Yeah. That's what he promised his donors. Nothing would fun- fundamentally change. You don't lie to your donors. You lie well, the climate, the, nothing's fundamentally going to change except the climate because we're going to continue fracking. Right. Right. Mm. Well, there's a, I, I read the other day there was a, a, some Amish crime. Somebody broke into a store and installed the electrical current. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guys, I did have a question about comedy writing, if you'll humor me. Uh, <laughs> obviously, after that last joke, you're you're on the wrong. They couldn't they couldn't use a telephone to call police. So they had to whistle into an acorn cup. Mm. <laughs> That's a crime that was committed on the Amish community. Yeah, they, they sentenced the criminal to eerie shunning. <laughs> Uh, you still want to ask a question about comedy writing? Yeah, if you don't mind, you know I love The Simpsons. It was it was great for years and years and years, but it's just not that good anymore. You know, it hasn't been good for years now. And you know, as comedy writers, uh, maybe you can help me understand. You know, it's such a huge show. It's 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 been so successful. It's got such a reputation. How could it? How could the writing go down so bad, so much? You know, couldn't they hire just the best of the best to to do great writing and make the show fresh and great? Dave, did you ever write for a sitcom? Yeah. And and the answers, Randall, shut up and watch. We'll give you what you deserve. You have no <laughs> choice in the matter. You have I no they, say, they, you have no vote. We'll tell you what's funny. Just sit back and rot your brain. That's the answer. I think they ran out of stories. But that is like, you know, they don't care. Randall, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. You know, they're not going anywhere, right? They're they're all multi-multi-millionaires, and they're not going to upset the... uh, Watch Family Guy instead. That's the, the... a really funny thing to watch. Do you watch Family Guy? Jim, I've seen a couple. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot. But it is, how can you not be addicted to Family Guy, Jim? You don't like Family Guy? I, to me, it's, it, I get that mixed up with Modern Family, which is I just saw Modern Family for the first. time. That's been on ten years. Modern Family, right? Yeah. I just saw it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, my God, this thing's never going to last. It was horrifically bad. But Family Guy, 
everything is shit. Watch Family Guy. I know, yeah. Everything is shit. It's supposed to be shit. I don't get it. I you know, and I'm I'm pretty up and hip with the new the new stuff and the new music and the hip hop and the kids. I'm with it. It's but like getting diarrhea after eating at Chick-fil-A. You can't complain about getting diarrhea from Chick-fil-A. What were you doing eating that garbage in the first place? Especially when you order diarrhea. Why do you order the diarrhea? (laughs) Why don't you get something else next time? Now, that's comedy. That is comedy. Do you watch a lot of television, Randall? No, not a lot. Uh, You know, I think like a lot of people nowadays, I don't have cable. I just watch some stuff on the Internet. But uh, there are still people. There are still people who, when they wake up, the first thing they do is turn on the TV. You know what I do? The first thing I wake up is I turn off the TV. Oh, Uh, I thought you were going to say. What? uh, Something about stop urinating. Yes. Uh, See, that's comedy. That's right there. Mm-hmm. Randall, did you want to be a comedy writer when you grew up? No, I never had those aspirations, but, you know, I did uh, think about that. I guess it was last year, maybe a year and a half ago, about it just uh, seemed like a lot of fun, you know, sitting around the table with a bunch of your friends. And, well, you think it would be fun yeah. sitting around a table with Jim Earl undermining all your pitches? Do you think Jim Earl would support any of your pitches in a comedy writing room? He would he would fillet every idea and explain why it lacks logic. And you'd just well, be, I, you'd be going, but it's funny. It's fun. it. No, I'm not the one. I don't do that. You that, I, I you would undermine. Yes. I don't do the logic thing. I, I, I specifically want things to have no logic, to be absurd. Well, no, you, you attack. A, like, you want to attack somebody's self-esteem. You, you criticize. If we were sitting around with Randall on a comedy show, you wouldn't care about the idea. You'd care about Randall to make sure that he began twitching and wouldn't have the courage to pitch any ideas. Well, you're talking about John Stewart. Yes. You're one in the well, same. I just, like the, I just like the idea of the uh, one dozen big mouth bass on the walls going off all at the same time. Yeah. Yes. They were everywhere. It was wonderful. And they, but they were different type, types of big mouth. There was the, the rapping alligator and the hip hop rabbit. Uh, Passover rabbit and all these kind of things. And they were light and action uh, activated. And when the head writer opened the door, they all go on at the one time. And uh, it was the most frustrating thing in the world for him because he had no sense of humor. And, uh, and he ended up I, working on modern family. And they, <laughs> he did. Right. Uh, I think he did. Uh, possibly. I, I think he did. But he also got fired from uh, Maria, but uh, Batai, but Batal, the uh, the chef, Mario Batali. Yes, uh, and he had a, he had a this food show where he'd go around France with a, a star, and he was supposed to write 
everything for that. And then they soon discovered that he couldn't write a thing. And it was so. Why didn't fault. they give him a raise? They they fired him. And they uh, if he can't so, write, why didn't they? Uh... I don't know. That's a good question. I've got we some... found we found a great TV show, Martha and I. Yeah. Called Izzy's Koala World. Hmm. Okay. Everybody should check it out. It's a wonderful show. All right, Randall. We'll talk to you soon, Randall. Bye. Thank you. Good luck. And, and Jim Earl, thank you for uh, for being polite to our guests. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Melania. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say goodbye to everybody and wrap the show up. Is that okay with you, Jim? I'll see you Zayn. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, so I want to read up your relatives' pictures. They're all over the place. Okay. I want to thank everybody who uh, did the show today. We have a special Saturday night, October 10th, an evening with Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. We're going to do it on YouTube and we're going to do it in the Zoom room. I hope all of you can make it. It's free. If you would like an invitation to sit in the Zoom room, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the attend a live taping menu and you'll get a link and you're in. And if you don't want to be in the Zoom room to ask questions, you can just watch it on YouTube. We'll put it up there live. Friday nights at 9 p.m. is office hours. Please come. All right. I want to thank Bob Rubin, whose new comedy special on Netflix is Oddities and Rarities. Henry Huckamacki and Judd Legum. I want to thank Kelly Stone, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld and his son, Ethan, Pete Dominic, Jim Earl, and of course, Martha Previtt. Martha has a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Martha Previtt. We will see you at office hours Friday night, Saturday night for an evening with Dr. Jen. And then we're back here Monday recording another episode of the David Feldman Show podcast. I will see you when I see you. Dave, one, one question. It's that, time, right? Yes, what is it, Jim? Is that your living room, foyer, or your bedroom, or, or your office? It's, uh, what do you think it is? studio i think it's uh i think you it's the foyer of xanadu <laughs> it's the nursing home where <laughs> it's the nursing oh, home too, yeah. where my kids put me <laughs> all right thank you everybody it's time right now for the david feldman show he's talking politics a comedy too he tell a dirty joke if you want him to He's just a lefty From way back He's a union man with an Emmy for writing Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting It's time right now for the David Feldman Show So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way
It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right and buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. And you give your loyalty to a Jew before your own blood. 